0: Hi, y'all. Welcome to Win Time. This is Day and Ari. Today is Monday, and it is November 25th, around 12.40 p.m. Thanks
1: for tuning in. This podcast is a non-technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin, blockchains, digital assets, and crypto for busy working parents and folks who are curious about these new technologies. Day, myself, and our guest talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do, y'all, because what part of your life does money not touch? You. And this podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your total and complete and absolute responsibility. Thanks again. Enjoy the show.
0: Nice reading. Good job. Mm-hmm. So my name's Day, and I'm a co-host of Windchill Time. I used to work on internet infrastructure uh, a while back, and uh, now I'm doing this podcast with Ari.
1: Hello, this is Ari, chair of the Cascadia <laughs> Blockchain Council. Why are you laughing? Keep going and also co-host of the windshield time studio podcast windshield time windshield time
0: yeah windshield time windshield time because of various digital real estate issues I've had to do windshield 21 sometimes windshield time studio sometimes windshield time podcast it's uh it's an issue but many presences nowadays how you doing
2: good
1: how are you
0: seriously how are you doing
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Now you're going straight back to me after forgetting me multiple times. <laughs> All right. I'm good. All right. So touch your mask really quick.
1: Yeah. What's the price of Bitcoin at?
0: Check the price a little while ago on the handy-dandy Apple stocks quoting app, BTC-USD, mm-hmm. and the price was $7,172. Convert that into eight decimal places, and you divide one dirty U.S. fiat dollar by 0.00. 007182
1: And you get 13,943 Satoshis Sats Or sats Yes So there are 13,943 sats In one U.S. dollar
0: Yes And late last night It swooshed down Into the 6,600 <gasps> range or really? so Did you freak out? No, no. I, I was being greedy. I was looking for more blood in the streets, and I did not pick up any more Bitcoin, and so I'm going to be patient and wait for my price. If it goes up, great. If it goes down, swooshes down, then I will pick up some.
1: So you're basically going to stay up all night staring at the price. Well, this
0: week might be really interesting because it's a holiday week.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, theoretically,
0: less people on their computers trading, there's less volume, so it's easy to push the price around, mm. which can be which can make it, you know, even more volatile than the already volatility that it is.
1: Well, at least if you're a an American, but the rest of the world doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, right? doesn't matter. I mean, it's most of the trading volume here in the United States.
0: Well, late at night and holiday time periods, it's definitely more susceptible. Mm. All right. All right. So
1: three events t- uh, for us to take note of. December 5, we're going to Defy Ventures to the Monroe Correctional Facility uh, with Leo Novsky. if you haven't checked out that podcast episode, check it out. It's a few episodes back, but it's definitely worth a listen. After that, we have our community happy hour on December tenth of the year. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be at the WTIA office, and it's at four o'clock on December tenth. So come out, come hungry and thirsty, um, and let's meet up as a community and so talk I'm about. We want to
0: do a uh, podcast uh, recording there. Is that okay? You think you Should can grab be a great. room? Okay. Yeah. Should I just ping Nick? I'll ping Nick.
1: Okay, great. All right, good. And then the final uh, event that we want to bring up and highlight is the Bitcoin National Conference that's coming up in Miami, and it'll be on January 15 through 17 in Miami, Florida. So we'll be heading over there. Woohoo!
0: <laughs> One discovery I wanted to share was Preston Pish, P-Y-S-H, I believe, is the spelling of his last name. Listened to a show uh, recently, and it was really, really good. They have mm. a really, really high-quality production going on mm-hmm. over there. Good sound, and audio, sonic po- production. Great sonic quality, great content. They did an interview with uh, Mark Yusko.
1: Oh.
3: Yeah.
0: It was a really good episode, really quick, too, like 40 minutes. Oh, wow. They talked about some stuff that I had not really heard talked mm, about much before. Wait, what's yeah, the, uh, was really the thing called? It's called Tip the Investor's Podcast.
1: The Investor's Podcast, yes. TIP, T-I-P. Oh, yes. It's very cool. good. I'll check it out. Yeah. Thanks. He
0: gave me a riddle. Well, he gave the listeners a riddle at the very, very end Mm -hmm. about how to teach people about how to evaluate uh, returns. Oh. And uh, so I reached out to him on Twitter and asked him if I could use that riddle on the podcast maybe. I saw that. So down the road, I might be bringing that up every once in a while uh, on some guests. I think it'll be fun.
1: Speaking of guests, uh, this episode is going to be really, really good. I was literally floored so many times with this one, Uh, Christine. Lee Minehan.
0: No. Christy Lee Minahan. (laughs) Minahan. You keep on saying it wrong. (laughs) Stop rubbing the mic with your forehead.
1: Speaking of episodes, this episode that we're about.
0: She's awesome. She's awesome. She spoke at uh, TF Blockchain 4, uh, Jonathan's event, and she did a great job. She knows a ton. She knows a ton about mining. She knows a ton about software, hardware.
1: She knows a ton about everything technology. So yes. uh, just learned so much about her, and you know, having lived so many lifetimes and experiences, and being here on a very special visa in the United States was very, very impressive.
0: We learned a lot. I know you learned a lot. I learned a lot as well. It's a long interview, so uh, gotta sit back and, you know, be ready to absorb a lot of data. But it's a really good interview
1: really good perspectives, and uh, I was also really happy and kind of interesting that uh, we have similar backgrounds too.
0: Yeah, really similar. Thanks uh, to our sponsors, WTIA, and Coin.me. So Coin.me is the best way for fiat U.S. dollars into directly into Bitcoin. Whenever you're at the grocery store, look for the Coinstar machines. and They're usually in the front. And then you can use that to turn U.S. dirty fiat dollars Into Bitcoin.
1: Or other digital assets.
0: They also have a private client services team. And so if you want to talk to someone about what you're thinking about, get some opinions, that sort of thing, uh, get some guidance, get some education, you can actually talk to Brent and Brian. I think it's very, very helpful to people coming into the space.
1: Yes, I totally agree. And thanks to the WTIA, the Washington Technology Industry Association, representing over 1,100 technology companies in the Pacific Northwest, everyone from Portland all the way up to Vancouver, B.C., we create one collective voice when it comes to policymakers, investors, and innovators coming together as community. Anyway, uh, I hope everyone enjoys the show. Thanks Um, to our
0: sponsors, WTIA, and Coin.me.
1: And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Together we rise.
0: Be nice to each other, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the interview with Christy Lee. Woohoo.
1: Hey, can we just start? Let's right? go ahead and
0: kick oh, off. Okay. Yeah. So we've been hot for all this time. Um so to kick it off, thank you so, so much for coming in to our now new dungeon. <laughs> podcast dungeon.
1: Podcast studio, air quote. Thank um, you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you have something on top of your mind you want to kick off with?
1: Well, um, we have Christy, how do you pronounce your <laughs> <Christy> full name? <laughs> Christy Lee Minahan. Minihan. Christy Lee Minahan here, uh, former CTO for Core Scientific. And just, um, I w- we've been learning about her over lunch right before this recording just jaw-dropping amazing Um, there aren't that many women and there aren't actually that many people with the uh, the depth and breadth of knowledge that you bring to the table and so really really grateful for the opportunity to get to know you more and I think we just learned that we have some stuff in common so that's Mm -hmm. really exciting so I'm kind of tickled by that I think the audience should a good way to start is just what's your background how did you what's what's your backstory start wherever what you want to start and oh yeah so I've always been a little bit of a rebel as a kid,
4: but really my my backstory, the interesting backstory began when um, in 2009, I really got involved in the Bitcoin space. That was around the time the first white paper dropped uh, and okay. it dropped in an IRC chat room that I was on for cryptography. IRC? Uh, IRC is Internet Relay Communications. It, it's the old school um, WhatsApp and WeChat and... This was how people chat used chat room. To, chat room, yeah. Okay. Before there were chat rooms, people were communicating through IRC.
0: And IRC. just to be sure, you just said 2009. Yep. Yeah, that's super crazy early. Yep. For knowing about Bitcoin. And yeah. so
4: it wasn't. It wasn't like I understood what the white paper was. So again, very sheltered, you know, childhood, and I was sort of trying to make my way through life. I had didn't have any sort of background in economics. The white paper was went way above my head mm-hmm. but all my friends were super excited about it in mm-hmm. the chat room and i mm-hmm. wanted to fit in so i got super excited
1: about it <laughs> i was like man this is great
4: <laughs> who, who are your friends uh folks online in so, the in the in the chat room are
1: they like do you know their ages are they older no. younger or anything of that sort no
4: uh, all i knew were their usernames oh, and interesting. the internet gave me the opportunity especially as a girl to just be myself, you mm-hmm. know, on the internet, no one cared about your gender. They didn't care about your age, mm-hmm. especially in the areas that I was going towards, you know, mm-hmm. the computer science channels, the cryptography channels, people only cared about answering questions or helping you, um, new people with materials mm-hmm. and they only cared about your code. Mm-hmm. No one judged you for who you were. It just, that kind of culture didn't put any emphasis mm-hmm. on who the people were. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really refreshing.
1: Sort of a meritocracy.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. Because for so long, uh, especially back then, if you were a woman, you were not allowed to play video games without getting mocked. You weren't really uh, allowed to write a lot of code without mm. getting. Some troll would come and the first thing they'd go is uh, go herder, go back to the kitchen. You know, oh they'd they make they'd sling at you for being a woman, as if you know, you could help what gender you were born as. Right.
0: So I gotta I gotta ask. Uh, I love your handle, your Twitter yes. handle. Oh <laughs> yeah. God a girl. And it so encapsulates crazy, you know, lots of ideas. Mm-hmm. And so when did you come up with that and was that what well, we just talked about, your origins part of that? No, actually,
4: oh. it came for the gaming space. So Whoa. before that, I had a handle called the Bakery Queen. The Bakery <laughs> Queen,
1: do you like and baking?
4: I do, actually, <gasps> oh. and I am a fantastic cook. Mm. Awesome. So sometime fantastic. I'm going to have to cook for you guys. Please. <laughs> um, so that was my first handle, and then the second one was the Zerging Zaftig, because I like to play a lot of Starcraft. I was ah. a Zerg player, and Zaftig means a very uh, big woman. And so I'm a little on the bigger side. So, and I really liked playing with alliteration and I liked playing with these catchy handles. Uh, But what I kept running into in the gaming industry was restrictions on the amount of characters you could have. uh, Some games, especially mobile games, restrict you to 10 characters or less. So I was like, man, I need to come up with a new handle that's incredibly catchy, that's memorable, that no one else uses Mm -hmm. and that, you know, ties everything together. And I was like... Oh, and I I tried a few and then for some reason, no one had taken, Oh God, a girl. And I, I was just shocked. Like Mm -hmm. when I discovered that I got like the email address, I got the website. (laughs) I was like, how does no one have
0: this? (laughs) Digital real estate, man. I I know. It is like the bane of our existence. So that became,
4: that became, you know, my handle and it was specifically for the gaming space. And it was great because whenever you'd speak on voice chat, I played a lot of competitive games. Wow, and when I'd speak on voice chat, people would immediately go, "Oh my God, it's a girl!" <laughs> and so the handle oh, really man. fit because when I'd speak, people would say that, and I'd go, "Yeah, didn't you see my name? <laughs> it's
3: right there."
4: <laughs>
0: That's, so memorable. Perfect. Yes. That's memorable. Yes, so memorable. That plays into my, you know, my big theme, which is like being memorable. You know, it's like uh, l- I picked luggage donkey because it was very specific to what I was doing at the time and being married to Caring Larry. Everything. Carrying all the luggage, yeah, yeah. But I was like, well, you know, I don't want to just try to do a derivation of my name. I want to have something be memorable. I'm boring.
1: I'm airy in Seattle. (laughs) Maybe I need to change that. Okay. So gaming, IRC IRC, chat rooms, discovered Bitcoin. You were like, okay, this is supposed to be cool. Now what? Yeah, exactly. And so all my friends were
4: like, oh, this is going to change the world you know, oh, this is revolutionary. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, what what does it really do? I mean, you're right, this is revolutionary. Anyway, I largely forgot about it. Until oh. the first mining software was dropped, which was the first copy of Bitcoin Core, wow. the node software. Back then, people didn't really mine to get Bitcoin. You more mined to compete with each other. Like, it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You, could send, you could send these Bitcoins to, like, your friend.
2: Mm-hmm. But it was a
4: very clunky process. It required a peer-to-peer connection, an mm-hmm. IP connection. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was a little too technical. Mm-hmm. And no one really did it because these coins weren't worth anything. But there was a subset of us that treated it like a video game because you could start mining and if you overclocked your laptop or if you, you know, tweaked some settings or you started dipping into the firmware layer of your GPU card Mm -hmm. and you really started optimizing, you could make the number go up. And it was like a high score. Number, like number of coins. The hash rate. The the hash hash rate. rate. Okay. So in mining... Mining is um, all the machines in mining are sold via how much hash rate they produce.
1: And what's a hash rate?
4: Hash rate is the amount of hashes, Bitcoin hashes, that you're solving per second. And so uh, your hash rate is a measure of that.
1: Okay, and hash is like problem solving. So, yeah. how fast you can solve these problems mm-hmm. is the hash rate. Correct. And you guys were competing on how fast you could make these problem solvings yep. happen.
4: And it's like it's like a video game high score and it becomes this competition you have with your friends. Okay. And so eventually we reached the peak of what we could do with, you know, overclocking our laptops. And then one of my friends managed to write his own bitcoin mining software he modified um the software somehow he didn't tell any of us how
3: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and he got 30 percent higher and then Ooh. he was lording it over all of us uh-huh. and he sat there and he said yeah i'll sell it to you for 300 dollars." Wow. and i got so angry because he was my best friend and i was like you're my best friend you should share that with yeah. me why are you doing this he's like nope you pay me So I got so angry that I decided, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to do this.
1: Oh, wow.
4: And so for a solid three weeks of no sleep and just like having no idea what I was doing, I taught myself basic programming concepts, lots of stack overflow. And eventually I managed to condense three threads down into one. And it gave me a little speed boost.
2: Hmm. After
4: three weeks of trying and failing and not doing anything. I was like, oh, wow hey, that, that actually did something. That's pretty cool. And it felt empowering. Mm-hmm. And I showed it to my friend. And he's like, how the hell did you do that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the friendly competition was on.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: And that really created my, I, I always like to say that Bitcoin has taught me everything I know about x86 architecture, which means everything I know about CPUs and GPUs and FPGAs, because which it is... all started, um, all the hardware, all, all the, the hardware, hardware stuff. Okay. So Bitcoin really was the catalyst for that, or more specifically, that mining piece, competing with my friends, mm-hmm. wanting to be better, you know, wanting to compete, and it was really fueled by that obsession with video games as well. Wow, okay. I
0: mean, just to riff off of the video games thing, I mean, I, I would say that that's part of the, uh, the well-known game theory, mm-hmm. which is scarcity, and how many Bitcoin can you get before mm-hmm. other people...
1: Or sort of like... Um the uh, chairs game. Uh, oh, musical chairs. Musical yeah, chairs.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: there's only a certain number of chairs and we're all vying for the limited supply of them. Exactly. Okay, got it. And so game theory is a core principle of both
4: blockchain and game design. And why games are so much fun to play is people spend a lot of time understanding game theory and designing their systems to trigger human psychology so that you want to play those video games. You want to, you know, not only do you want to follow the story, but you mm-hmm. want to, Spend a lot of time investing in that video game. Hmm. Same thing applies to blockchain. You want to ensure people are locked into the ecosystem and they want to keep um, investing into blockchain technology. Keep using Bitcoin because the value will grow.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: And so they have a lot of very close parallels with each other. Mm.
0: Can we go still more into the background? And so you're in Australia when that's happening. So I'm in
4: Australia at the start. And then uh, when I turned 18, I um, moved to Canada. Whoa, so I Kinder. had a boy that I met over World of Warcraft. <laughs> wow. I liked him. He was a jock. He liked me. He Aww. played a, he was my pocket healer. So I was always a tank in World of Warcraft. <laughs> he was a good pocket healer. Anyway, I decided to move to Canada um, to uh, be with him, live with him. Wow. And I stayed in Canada for two years. And at that time I was really focused more on mining was, Bitcoin was starting to become sort of known. Mm-hmm. It's focusing more on the twenty um, 2010 to 2013 piece. Bitcoin was kind of sort of known. And, you know, there was little groups around, um round, but more altcoins were starting to take off. And these were... The first forts. round of altcoins. Yeah, these okay. were all forks of Bitcoin and they all needed mining software. And so that's where I came in, writing these optimized miners and flipping it for money. Mm-hmm. And not just that, optimized wallets, like people wanted all sorts of changes to their wallets. So back then you could you could have an image displayed and you could have a custom wallet that had like an image displayed oh, when you cool. loaded it up. People would pay you money for that to do that. Hundred bucks right there. <laughs> and but how do people find you like through Bitcoin talk. So I had a oh, I had God. a pseudonym those were the
0: Reddit days, right? Yes. Yeah.
4: So like um so Oh got a Girl wasn't my pseudonym back then. Mm. I, I had a whole host of different pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. Oh got a girl was strictly for gaming. Oh. I only made that transition in uh, 2017, actually. Oh, wow. Um, but before that, you know, it was just Bitcoin talk. You'd, you'd do a project. You'd post about it on Bitcoin talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would get very excited. And then, you know, they'd know you and they'd refer to you by name and thread. And you just built up that reputation, I guess. And yeah. so then also in the IRC chat rooms, people would want to get into mining. And then they'd start asking, hey, how can I get a faster Miner? Mm. And then you know they'd be pointed my way.
1: So, so just, just mm-hmm. did you learn to code in the uh, the game the competition with your yes. friends? Yes, so you learned to code on
0: basically on your own, then
4: yes. So, I'm I have not got a high school degree, I don't have a university gr- degree. Um, everything I have has been self taught. Oh
1: my god, um,
0: you're like uh Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he apparently read. Like everything in his school library, mm-hmm. like in his grade school. Didn't he, he grow up in, he grew up in uh, South Africa, I wanna say. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So he's part of the whole Commonwealth and system. And he went to
1: Canada, too.
0: Yeah, he was in Canada, too. Yeah. <gasps> oh, there easy, we go. Easy yeah. immigration. But basically, the story goes, like, he read everything in his library and then had to request his librarians, like, to, you know, get books for him. Oh, wow. So that he could read more books. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So i That's crazy would... awesome. You, you're self-taught. Yeah. Yes,
4: Amazing. self-taught on everything. So, But my... why? Hold on a minute. <laughs> you're like, why would you it's do so that? It's like the
1: gaming thing. So it was like competitive spirit, but you kept on going. Yes, yes.
4: I was fueled by anger to beat my friends. I wanted to be better than Even them. Even in Canada yes this after that point I was hooked it this, was
0: this is a life like you know core like pr- principle for her not yeah. a not a passing you know yeah. like this bad. was a
1: thing like a Here, real here's thing. the
4: thing with programming I'm a, I'm an artist so I love art like my right. my uh my avatar on Twitter I've drawn that myself oh, I've wow. done avatars for others I I like art uh-huh. and programming is a form of art it's just a different kind of art it's about how do you Take um, really complex steps, really complex ideas and break them down into easy to understand language Mm -hmm. and do that in the most elegant way possible to make this computer that can't understand you at all do -hmm. what you want it to do. That's there. There's beauty to that. You become a magician. And just like um, writing, you use the English language for writing Uh, in programming. You know, you use C or you use binary or you use assembly. Hmm. and it's incredibly empowering being an artist of any kind. And so any artist that's listening to this will also understand that same sort of feeling you get when you're creating. You feel like you're creating life. That is addictive. That's what fuels programmers. And then also the challenge piece. So that, that was a big part of, um, for why I liked video games. They're challenging. They stimulate a part of your brain that can't really be stimulated by books or academia but programming and video games can stimulate that same sort of part so I was just like partly I was fueled by anger and jealousy (laughs) and I love that and I I'm very um blessed to have that memory I hope that memory never disappears Uh but you know part of it was this innate curiosity and when I finally realized that hang on I can do it I didn't ever feel like there was a ceiling or a limit for myself so I've never had that where I I've never had to tell myself, hang on, I can't achieve this because I don't have, you know, the relevant background.
1: Well, the amount of discipline you would have to like enforce, you you just said you didn't graduate high school, college or any of that. Mm -hmm. So like, um, I mean, typically people, at least in this Western industrial age, we go to school and we learn the discipline of like, this is how you like learn and this is how you like level up, Mm -hmm. like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> loss <laughs> so learning is different to
4: every single human right school didn't work very well t- for me because i got i got distracted easily mm-hmm. i i like doing lots of things at once oh. um, and it stresses out my previous employers it stresses out like everyone around me because they don't understand why i can be focused on so many tasks at once but my brain enjoys having lots of tasks School is very, um, traditional school is very single-threaded, to put it into programmer's yes. terms. Yes. You're focused on one problem, you solve that problem, you move on to the next. Yeah. And you get a teacher that reads from to you from a book and you have to solve some homework. And it, it didn't really stimulate my brain. It was boring and I hated it. But... With programming, um, all of a sudden, I was like, with all of this and with self-teaching, with being Uh self-taught, I was in control of what I wanted to learn. And if I wanted to bounce over from hardware to psychology to biology to mathematics, I could. No one was stopping me. No one was telling me. No one was dictating homework. So the important challenge for being self-taught isn't about discipline. It's about find what motivates you and chase those problems. And so I'm a naturally curious person. I want to see how things work. Uh And so I have to constantly find, um, you know, things that I don't understand and how can I solve it?
1: Extremely distracting.
2: What are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm trying to create another desk for myself over
2: here.
0: (laughs) All right. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) She was flowing just fine. (laughs) Oh God, a girl's flowing just fine. <laughs> You're like, oh God, you stupid boy. <laughs> what are you doing? You stupid boy, stop it. All right, I'm done I'm done moving around.
4: So it was self taught. Yeah. Yeah. Just you have to have you have to know what motivates you. And so for me it's it's figuring out how things work. And that's an obsession. Like I wanna know how everything in the world works.
1: So then do you like like you wake up in the morning and you start like going through your news feeds and your email feeds and so your like, you have like, what is that? How did, what is so I used to, okay. I used
4: to do that a lot when I was younger. Uh-huh. Um, and it stressed me out quite a bit. The yeah. news, one of the things you learn as you get older is you don't want really want to follow the current news. It exactly. stresses you out and it made me feel so jaded and so horrible.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause it's not actually news as well. It's just bad news. Exactly. Just all it is is bad news. Yeah. yeah. So
4: instead, um, you know, when I wake up, I have I have my routines now. I've been, I've been conditioned as I've gotten a bit older to slow down. Okay. The corporate life has told me have a routine, but I spend a lot of time um, reading books right now. Book um, books. So I'm working through uh, Edward Snowden's Oh yeah, uh, Permanent Record. I'm really enjoying that. Uh-huh. I read. Anything from fiction to non-fiction, a lot of fantasy and sci-fi series, but movies as well, consuming all of that, not because, not just for the story, but I want to understand why did someone make this movie and then go on Reddit and find out, okay, Lord of the Rings, for instance, how did they get a lot of the special effects? How did they get, um, you know, these realistic looking races? How was the makeup done? How was the um, visual effects done? That kind of stuff. Figuring out how... How did all these little pieces come to make the final puzzle?
1: Wow. Very different brain than me. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And blockchain is... The
4: reason blockchain has held my attention for so long uh-huh. is because blockchain is this convergence of human psychology, uh-huh. video games, uh-huh. hardware, software, and economics. Uh-huh. And you don't get that in any other Technology it's anyway.
0: extremely multidisciplinary mm-hmm. and that lends to the whole uh, intimidation factor of you know you know regular working folks which is basically everybody school teachers mechanics construction workers to try and bite off a little piece of it you get flooded with all the stuff from all the you know cheerleaders out there and yep. then you're like okay this Whoa. is just way too much just you know leave me alone but yeah extremely multidisciplinary mm-hmm. yeah
1: side question so like I mean as a you know young parent myself to two very young boys what's your parents where where are your parents in this story so like uh, you know sad
4: story on that one oh, um no, I'm sorry. so i so the reason i didn't graduate high school is i was trying to pay for my own apartment so um, my my mom was very ill um, she's been ill for a lot of her life so she was diagnosed with schizophrenia Um, paranoid schizophrenia as well and I think she also suffered a lot from depression so I didn't have an easy life growing up Um, I got thrown out of home quite a bit I have a brother he's awesome Um, but he left when he was 16 the moment he could legally leave in Australia um, I don't think you can do this in the US but in Australia at 16 years of age you're allowed to drink drive join the army and legally leave school And you get to make a choice. Do you want to go straight into the job field? And so then you can get employed by um, Kmart or Target or uh, Walgreens, like whatever job you want. Um, Or do you want to go to TAFE? TAFE is kind of like our college. Uh um, And you can learn trades there. You can learn how to be a boilermaker, Mm -hmm. a farrier a horse dentist, all sorts of different like paths. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to go to university? If you want to go to university, you have to go um, for your last two years of high school, year 11 and 12, to get what we call HSC, higher school certificate. Mm-hmm. And that gets you into universities. Wow. So you get these paths you want to choose.
1: We don't have those paths very nope.
4: accessible here. I was here. just going to say,
0: I mean, this kind of reminds me of the interview we did with um, Michael Schusler. remember? Yeah, Germany. And basically, yeah, Germany. And then also, well, their program yeah. about how... apprentice Apprenti, exactly. Because there is not... Uh, so there should not be a single way to get fulfillment, success, and happiness in life with respect yeah. to education and opportunity. Exactly. And the earlier that you can actually give somebody a choice, if they want to make a choice, mm-hmm. um, the earlier that you can do it. And 16, actually, I think is about right. Yep. Um, I, it's probably better. I think it's better. Instead of saying, you know, like in the U.S., we're brainwashed to finish high school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, go get a job, see you later. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that works for everybody.
4: Like at 16, you get your learner's license in Australia. Learner's license. Uh, a learner's permit, a driver's license. But oh, okay. The, the first stage of it yeah, yeah. where you still have to have an adult supervise you. Right. But you're taught, you're given a lot of responsibility and a lot of emphasis is put on growing up. You know, once you hit 14, you're conditioned to start becoming an adult. And when you hit 16, you're pretty well-rounded. Yes, you make some stupid life choices, but guess what? Those stupid choices turn you into great human beings. Mm -hmm. Like, the thing I always appreciated about Australia is... You're allowed to change your mind. So too often in the U.S., I've experienced if you change your mind in terms of opinions, education or job, you get punished for it. Yeah, yep. I had a friend tell me that I'm not allowed to go... Um, so I've been a corporate executive for so much of my life for these really big companies. Yeah. And, I had a f- and I mentioned to a friend, I want to go learn accounting and finance. Yeah. And I wanted to take a really um, junior job being an intern to um, one of the CFOs of a Fortune 100 company. Awesome. And he tells me, no, no, you can't do that. Why? Like, exactly. <laughs> he tells me, no, Christy, you have to understand your resume is a story and you need to think about what's the next stage in your story arc. And so you're, you've been a corporate executive, if you go right down to the intern level, it, that's going to look very badly on future employment. And I'm like, what? That's so bizarre. Then wrong employer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not a right fit. For me, taking a job isn't about money. It's about learning and learning areas that I cannot learn through studying online or through reading a book Mm -hmm. and there are some things that you just cannot learn through reading a book stuff like management or um running a fortune 500 company business financials the legal system even right real world experience is valuable there so but in australia that kind of stuff doesn't happen every every um day you hear of a 50 year old that's going back to tafe and he's wanted to learn how to um how to specialize in being a programmer Mm-hmm. And like it, it's supported and it's welcomed, and you can pivot in your career many times, and people do not judge you for that.
0: So many. Pivots. You need the, we need that in the states because we there's amount a uh, large amount of reeducation of blue collar workers that mm-hmm. likely needs to happen to to eliminate that that fear of I mean I'll say Change. it like the immigrant coming in from the outside yep. and stealing their jobs. Right. You know. There's um, a lot
1: of retraining that needs to happen. I mean, even in white collar too. Uh, yeah, the yeah. future is you, it, it is multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to need people to be thinkers and artists uh, mm-hmm. using different mediums and different tools as you've discovered and shared. And now I'm thinking like, man, we have a lot of work to do, especially <laughs> in the United States, to really prepare Canada for too. the future. Canada
4: was Canada just too. as bad. Really? Um, so I lived in a very small town called Campbellford. It's in Ontario. Um, and I had my first experience with xenophobia there. I got and what? I didn't know you? that. I yeah, exactly. I didn't know I could experience that. I really? had I had a lot of people, um, a lot of the kids uh that were also um friends of my fiance at the time mm-hmm. telling me um calling me alien, telling me go back. What? How dare you get this job? Like Really? Whoa. And a lot of people in smaller towns in Canada? Uh-huh they're not as welcoming as you think to foreigners or outsiders
1: Mm. because
4: Mm. any job that you take, they think, they think, hang on, that's a job I could have gotten. That's a job my kid could have gotten, or that's Mm. a job, you know, XYZ could have gotten.
1: So opportunity is not as, um, Mm -hmm. uh, readily available or, yeah. Yeah. And it, it was
4: just, I was, it didn't really hurt me. I was just like, wow, I didn't know that's a thing when it started happening a lot towards the end of me being in canada i started to realize how people must feel like i didn't i made a choice to come to canada to be with someone i loved why Mm -hmm. should i be punished for that choice i didn't understand that you know being born in that country gave um someone else more of a right to be there Mm -hmm. like doesn't the world belong to all of us
1: yeah and the sort of like random chance you just Mm -hmm. got i was lucky to have been born in the united states Mm -hmm. more than anything right but it's, I'm also unlucky in that I have a very um, narrow worldview of like how the rest of the world works, and mm-hmm. I've been learning a lot of it, you know, over the last I don't know, decade You're so or narrow-minded, so. Narrow-minded, Ari. You're
3: so <laughs> narrow-minded. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm trying to learn, and you know, I like we discussed before, like grew up very very conservative mm-hmm. worldview. I grew up Seventh Day Adventist, uh, as we discussed, and. Uh, and then discovering like, oh, there's other religions. Yeah, oh, I like know, right? people are allowed to wear makeup. Oh, wow, like you can wear jewelry. Oh, I know, like, like, right? <laughs> you can eat cheese and not die, and then, <laughs> you know, like, um, oh, wow, cheese tastes great. And then like, and then I, in okay. college, college is when I had first bacon, and oh, my it was God. forbidden, right? And I tasted yep. bacon. I was like, it's kind of weird. And then you know, a few more tries, and I'm like, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <You> like gristle. <laughs> I love gristle.
4: It's I don't know. It's uh, uh, one of the things that I encourage. Like, it's always disheartening to hear people that have gone through this experience, where as a kid you're you're kept in a narrow box. When yeah. you're a kid, you need to be exposed to all these experiences, because that is the only way you will figure out what really makes you happy and what you want later mm-hmm. on in life. Right. Um, you know, I was, I was really unfortunate to not have the chance to be a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't. And so like growing up seventh day Adventist, you know, exactly how it is. You get put in your box and my parents have my whole life mapped out for me. I was going to be a good little housewife. Um, so my school curriculum was, uh, learn how to sew, cook and clean. Mm. And the only part I was really good at was the cooking part. I like, Mm -hmm. was terrible at sewing, still can't sew. (laughs) Kind of okay at cleaning but i that didn't interest me like i wanted there were the computers that the boys got taught and there was there was art and there was writing like the boys seemed to have this really interesting curriculum and i wanted to go do that mm-hmm. and i was told no 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 and it didn't make sense to my my brain that I should be punished for things I can't help. I can't help the gender I was born as. Mm -hmm. Just like I can't help the color of my skin, and I can't help, you know, the fact, my age. That's another thing I get a lot of um, flack for. Amusingly, only in the U.S. I've never had... I've never been punished for my age elsewhere. Yes.
1: Why do you think it's in the United States? Well, that's only been my
4: experience, Mm -hmm. but especially working in corporate America, you get punished heavily for your age. People... on
0: both sides yes being too young being too old exactly
4: and people don't realize they do it so many times my colleagues um through any of the companies oh you're too young oh you don't understand this you're too young you haven't been experienced enough yet and Mm -hmm. it's it's bizarre because i haven't been experienced in some areas but i've been experienced in a lot of areas you know that no kid should have to go through like It's very poor form to judge someone before you've got to know them. Mm -hmm. And my age should not have any sort of reflection on my business skills Mm -hmm. or my financial skills or my success in my career. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that I learned that there's etiquette in America where you can't apply for certain roles if you're not at a certain age yet. Hmm. So... You're not supposed to go and apply for an executive role of, you know, a very large seasoned company unless you're between the ages of 35 and 45. Mm-hmm. And at scrappy least. me, I'm like, well, those that's a rule. I want to break that rule. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like I the
0: yeah, age should not be an indictment. Yeah. I know. Yeah.
4: And you have some folks that are the same. Um you have folks that are over fifty mm-hmm. that want to come back. I ha- I got to interview a fantastic gentleman that was working at Microsoft. He um, when I was at Core Scientific, he wanted to come and learn programming. He wanted to be my understudy. I thought it was wonderful. He was going to come and be a solutions engineer. And what he wanted to do was he he was pretty upfront. He said, look, here's my career. Here's what I've done. But I want to change. I want to be a programmer. I want to learn how to program. And I thought that was wonderful. And he didn't let his age stop him. Yeah, No, okay. he was he was 50. And I'm like, nope, I'm still going to go for this. And you see so many people that try and use their age, a, a, age as a crotch.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh,
4: I'm too old to go do this. Or I'm too old to do that. Mm-hmm. No, age should never stop you. Age should never stop you, gender or race. No one should ever stop you, actually. Yeah. And that kind of rebellious nature is why I love blockchain so much. Because no one... No one tells Bitcoin what it can or can't be. <laughs> Woo-hoo. So I guess, yes, I'm a bit of a rebel. And so then after Canada, I went to Germany and I lived in Germany <gasps> for Germany. a year. Oh, Germany's tough. So I officially moved to Germany. I got mm-hmm. my residency there because um, I was working for a German multinational company. Wow. But I also got asked three weeks into my move in Germany to go to China. And then I lived in China for almost two years. Wow. <laughs> so it was it was very weird. Like I had a residence in Germany, but I got to see both sides of the coin. Wow. China was an experience and that it, that shaped a big portion of my worldview mm-hmm. because I lived in Shenzhen. I went to a lot of the places like um, uh, Jiangxi, uh Wuzhou, uh Wuzhou, yes, Wuzhou. Um, it shaped a lot of my cultural experiences. Mm-hmm. And it showed me um, the di- the other side of the world, basically.
1: So when you moved from like Canada, Germany, to China, the boy that you had, uh, you were in love with, did he follow you? so
4: we broke up,
1: uh-huh. um, which was why I left Canada. Uh-huh. And
4: I actually fell in love with a Swedish guy. A Swedish guy. Did yes. he <laughs> go to Germany
1: and China? He did. So <gasps> I. So this is bad advice
4: for any teenager listening, <laughs> but. I felt, fell in love with a boy on the internet again. You might notice there's a pattern here. Um, and he was very funny. He made me laugh a lot. He was very good at video games. Yay. And in my previous relationship, I had always been shy. And I was taught that, the you know, the guy should do all the first moves. After um, we had broken up, I was feeling pretty rebellious. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to change the paradigm. So I to- told the boy outright, you know what? I like you. Actually, you make me laugh. You're pretty funny. We should date. And this, I think, I was this guy's first girlfriend. So he's like,
3: oh, "What?" what? <laughs> he was like
4: shocked, and I was like, "Yeah." Actually, you live in Sweden, right? And so I looked up the visas. And I was like, "Yeah." So I there's this thing where I can come for ninety days, visa free, to Sweden. Wow! I'm gonna come and live with you for a while. Let's see oh how we mesh because oh, I think man. I like you You're as my boyfriend. Awesome. I love you. And this boy was floored, but um he confessed like about 8 hours later he said i was working up the courage to say this but i want really want to um want you to be my girlfriend it was like Aww. fantastic so the reason i made that choice wasn't it was because i had previously met a man online mm-hmm. you know my ex fiance and i found that we Online is great and all, but you don't really know someone until you're living with them. And specifically, you don't know if you want to spend your life with this person until you've had to wake up with them every morning and until you've had to, you know, deal with their snoring or deal with their bad habits. <laughs> Relationships take a lot of work. Oh, yeah. You guys oh, know yeah. this. A lot oh, yeah. of it's, it's a job almost. <laughs> <All the time. laughs> and so it requires investment and you want to make sure that you're investing in the right person. Absolutely. And so in my in my teenage brain, I was like, well, hang on. It doesn't make sense that I have to spend so much time dating to figure out if this is the right person to invest in. Why don't I just skip all that? And so we did. We lived together for 90 days and it was paradise. Like we we bonded and we meshed really well. Our personality, what we enjoyed, our genre of movies. We had tons of talks. And so I lived in Sweden for a time with him. Wow. And I was still doing all of the blockchain stuff. Wow. Um, more focused at that point, less on uh, developing software and more on the hardware side of things. Whoa. So I'd been asked by a few companies to come in and design some ASICs. So I was focused on that.
1: Again, people are finding you through yes. like Bitcoin Talk,
4: Bitcoin such. Talk, that's and then word amazing. of mouth, and then through IRC. Would
0: you, would you say that Reddit is uh, that whole you know bubble in the world? Reddit is still as relevant as like Bitcoin Twitter or crypto Twitter.
4: So Bitcoin Talk was um, an old forum that came before Reddit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that, that's an important point. So Bitcoin Talk oh. was where Satoshi first made the public announcement of oh, yeah. uh of bitcoin
0: oh i thought it was always in reddit no and i totally missed the reddit train and that's why i was like no oh, yeah that's why i missed it. this was oh. a really old form Different. it still
4: runs today yeah. and it's it's basically the central hub for any sort of cryptocurrency news or when a coin launches yeah oh, however okay. the only Aww. people that really focus on bitcoin talk today are mm-hmm. miners or hardware nerds Crypto Twitter really attracts people that are on the protocol, investment, or development side. Right. Those or, the people, side. or the trolling <laughs> side. Well, their Bitcoin talk has lots of trolls as well. It's kind of different worlds. Reddit is more for the folks that are already on Reddit but have a hobby in crypto. Mm-hmm. Mm. But most of the current news um, is still on Twitter. than in China, so China is 57% of the user base of Bitcoin.
1: 57? Yeah. 57,
4: it's huge. Yeah. Wow. So all of the discussions in China take place on WeChat, um, mm. through their news channels, through um, QQ, or in person. And they have regular conferences.
1: Did you learn to read Chinese? I did. Speak- you did? I did what speak
4: wh- Chinese. Reading was really difficult. I tried. I tried to study. I didn't teach myself can long enough. You speak it very badly um i had to teach myself out of necessity because i didn't always have a translator Mm -hmm. um and that was yeah when you get thrown into an experience like when you get thrown into a situation where you have to learn the language you find that you can teach yourself a lot faster <laughs> <laughs> it compelling was compelling event <laughs> yeah because i was um the place that i was working jiangxi uh-huh. uh there was no english there were no white people no one went there it was a very poor area in china
1: were you still with the sweden guy Yes, I was. I was going to ask, like, did you date a Chinese guy? No, no, I was a Swedish
4: guy for seven years. Oh, wow. So, um, and then he he decided to go back to school Mm -hmm. in Sweden Mm -hmm. um, to focus on his career. He wanted to be a computer programmer after being with me for so long. And I had to go and focus on my career in the U.S. and being CTO of CORE. But yeah, I was with him through Sweden, through Germany, through China, wow. through Russia and Ukraine. He did Russia and Ukraine too? And Belarus and, and Venezuela. Be- what? And Antigua.
1: What, how long has it been here? I've <laughs> <Where? laughs> been
4: everywhere. Wow. And all, all, it's always been um, blockchain that's always brought me for work. That's Aside from uh, Canada and Sweden, which we're for love, I've traveled everywhere else because of cryptocurrency. Mm. And every time there's been a government that has... It's all been word of mouth. So I've never really been an online personality until the last few years. Um, It's always been word of mouth. So people would recommend me and say, oh, you have to speak to this person and I go there. You are
0: truly a product of your words, your writing, and your accomplishments, and the code that you write, and and Merita- all of that. Really, yeah. I mean, yeah, reputation. like ultimate meritocracy. It seems meritocracy you're like, it seems. You're
1: like a forty year old in in <laughs> a much younger body, twenty something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, like they say, like the twenties is when you learn your skills, thirties mm-hmm. is when you build your reputation, forties is when you capitalize on your reputation. You like skip, go, and like <laughs> yep, went around a couple times without even really like going to jail well like i always
4: (laughs) tell um so you know i wish i had a childhood because there are things that i still haven't caught up on um like today this is my first time i'm in korean food oh yeah yeah. and and there's been there's been a lot of moments in my life where i haven't had basic experiences
1: me too (laughs) i didn't have my first cup of hot chocolate until like post-college yeah what's what's one of yours
0: post-college yeah for hot chocolate
1: yeah (laughs) I had my first Taco Bell in high school. <laughs> I didn't want a quesadilla was. How about you? Oh, man. I think the coffee. Coffee was
4: something that I didn't get until I was out on my own. Battered fish, um, certain types of bread as oh. well.
2: Uh-huh.
4: Um, but the big thing for me was uh-huh. movies and well, TV. Mm-hmm. So I've... I'm completely out of pop culture. Like, I still haven't seen all of the Matrix movies, and, like, I'm shunned for that. Um, <laughs> you I saw um, the first one, though? Uh, yes. Okay, that's recently. the most important one. Okay. Dang. I just watched Star Wars, the the whole trilogy, the original trilogy, <gasps> um, and then uh, uh, yeah. that was three years ago. Yeah, so, yeah. wait,
1: are you Star Trek or Star Wars?
4: I haven't decided yet. I'm <gasps> still working through Star are you serious? Trek. Are Yep. Well, give her time.
0: Come what on, Star- on, Mal. What was
4: Star Trek, like um, old school or like Star Trek Next Generation or which Star Trek? Next Generation I'm working through. Yeah, um, like Doctor Who as well, working oh, through
1: that. I missed that one.
4: So all these things you're supposed to grow up on or your parents are meant to, you know, influence on you. I didn't have any of that. I didn't start watching uh, TV until I was 22. And like it's it's been an eye okay. You guys have some crazy uh, Must similarities be a here. I it is. I, it <laughs> really is. It. I think it is. Because <laughs> Dave's been
1: like you've been living under I'm like, no, I really don't have any pop culture. <laughs> I never even listened to like anything rock and roll. You know. Yes. Like, yeah. I, know. I didn't even know this existed. And so,
4: like, I, when I was when I was a kid, you mm-hmm. know, I my focus every single day was, oh suddenly I have to learn what money is, okay? Now I have to learn how do I pay for food, okay? How do I buy food? How do I, and, like, growing up, so I was on my own from 11 all the way up until 18.
1: What? On your own?
4: Like, on my own. On your own? Yes.
0: It kind of reminds me of that movie we watched with Michael Douglas, The King of California. I don't remember. So it's on Amazon Prime if you get a chance to catch it. Yeah, so it's, it was the uh, gal who basically was growing up on her own. Her dad is a little bit of a, you know, eccentric dude. Oh, yeah. And then so he was kind of in and out of her life. Yeah. But basically she just sustained herself in her parents, her dad's home. The mom couldn't take it anymore, so she went away. And so it was her and her absentee dad. And she's a teenager and she has a job. And she's basically an adult, but she's, you know, in her mid-teens. So it's, that's what yeah. you
4: did. Yes, really? and it was horrible, and I wouldn't wish that experience. So on you anyone. like
1: made your own food, and you like yeah, barely well, went to school, and
4: the the thing that stressed me out the most was um as I got towards fourteen, mm-hmm. um you had to make the transition slowly into um into the high school area. Different in Australia because we have a high school that really starts I would say from fourteen all the way up to eighteen. Okay, um if you go to your year eleven and twelve, um. And I realized I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't keep juggling the school workload as well as working nights, as well as mornings, as well as buying food, as well as paying rent. And also the kinds of people that will let a kid sign a rental, uh, rental agreement are really skeevy people. Mm. And the kinds of people that will give a kid a job are also really skeevy people. <laughs> oh. mm. And so it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good environment, but this is what I had to do, you know, in order to survive. And so my, um, the first computer I ended up buying with my own money
2: mm-hmm.
4: was actually a um, reject. It was going to get dumped. Um, it was from my school. Paid $50 for it. It was still running Windows 95. It was terrible. It was one of those old boxy CRT monitors um, that sit, sit on the little uh, pizza box, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. It was a yellowed old thing. It was really gross. Mm-hmm. But I was so proud to have that. Like, wow. it was, I was so happy. It's an experience I would not want any kid to go through and no kid should have to. No kid should have to be without their parents because while it taught me street smarts and it gave me the cunning and the business expertise I have today Mm -hmm. and it has really defined who I am today and why I am so successful, I also didn't develop fully like as a kid. As a Mm -hmm. kid, you're meant to go and have your experiences. You're meant to... Most kids figure out what their favorite food is. I didn't until recently. Most kids figure out, you know, do they prefer tea or coffee or um, you know, what's their favorite colors, that kind of stuff. Basic mm-hmm. development stuff. So, what's your favorite food? So, my favorite food is sushi.
1: Sushi. I love sushi yes, too. Yes, I'm a big fan
4: of sushi. I can eat sushi every single day mm. without getting bored. And favorite color is blue. blue. Despite the red hair and, and despite the red. Watch. The red yep. Huh. It's blue. Um, Why blue? Uh, Blue reminds me a lot of both the sky and the ocean. And Uh. those are symbols of freedom. Uh. So as a kid, I was always like dreaming about being able to just sail across the ocean and run away from everyone Uh. or flying. Uh. And blue is a very nice mellow color. And it's a beautiful color as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I just happen to look good in red. So I wear red. (laughs) Do you have tattoos? I do not have any tattoos. tattoos. Have nothing against them. Mm -hmm. Just have not got a tattoo.
1: You've got the piercings. I, I don't do. have piercings.
4: Rebellious. Rebellious. Yes. I did dye
1: my hair blue uh, in my college days. I cut it really, really short, and I wore army boots, and I colored my lips black trying to look all gothy oh. and scary. <laughs> so I used to have long hair, really long
4: hair. That really long hair. That was the other hair. thing. Oh, wow. You probably experienced this too. Your parents wanted your hair to be very long because it's the appropriate feminine thing. So, yeah, as soon as I hit 18, chopped it all off. Um, so my hair used <laughs> to be down to my ankles and there's still like two photos Whoa. out there and it was super long Holy cow. <laughs> and it was, it was, um, this like auburn or brownish color, but as soon as I hit 18, chopped it off and I, I went, I went, um, first up to my stomach, then up to my shoulders and then slowly it got this short, but I wow. enjoy it this short as well. It's more manageable and it's easier for a busy lifestyle.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So can we um, go into geography? So then how long have you been in the States then?
4: So I um, officially, I moved here on January this year. So recently. Oh, wow. Um, But I had been working for my previous company before then. So last year in uh, August 2018, I joined them officially. And I did the commute back and forth. Um, So when... When you're on a temporary visa, you can only come for up to X amount of days. Right. So I'd come in every two weeks for our leadership team meetings, fly in, stay at the hotel, fly out, fly in, fly out, fly in, fly out. It was very <laughs> exhausting. Miles. Yes. And I was applying for an O-1A visa. So that means it's a certain type of visa for athletes, artists, movie stars. It stands for um, uh, individual... Individual alien of extraordinary talent.
1: Oh, we, and you are okay. extraordinary. <laughs> Wait,
0: so is that a? Um, I'm going to be a little bit geeky with you in specific. <laughs> so is that a O1A or is that o, zero a. one A?
4: Oh, uh, no, it is O1A.
0: Oh, it's O. Oh, oh. no kidding. Outstanding. Huh.
4: So <laughs> alien, yes, it actually stands for outstanding. Oh. So there's two of them. There's O1A and O1B. O1A is for anything in the sciences and arts. Uh-huh. O1B is for anything in sports. Oh. So little little different categories. And so um the reason I had to go for that one is I couldn't get a H one B one or um H one B is yeah, what yeah. they're called. H one B. Um, because I didn't have an education. Oh so one of the wow. requirements oh. of getting a visa. You need you need to prove that you have a at least a bachelor's. And I'm like, Well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> well then. And so that that was problematic. Um some of the other ones require you to either like have a company here in the US or I could be a consultant. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be, you know, an ex- uh, an executive of an or an officer of the company. Like there were a lot of things stacked against me. So we we're like, OK, well, there's this thing over here and they only grant 100 per year oh, and it's lottery. Man. Let's go take a run at it. And, and so I had to get um, a bunch of letters from all the companies that I'd worked with before or that um, could vouch for my authenticity. And it was a stack of letters from Fortune 100 companies or any, you know, really big senior individuals That were not in the blockchain space, but were outside (sighs) observers. And saw specifically the crux of getting this application is you have to show how your contributions changed the face of the technology or how they were impactful. So it's a very stressful process. And finally, in January, I was awarded with it. So that's really
0: interesting because um, it's not... Direct contact. It sounds like it's not direct contact people who can vouch for you because that can yeah. be gamed. Exactly. It's actually one removed. And that gives more authenticity yeah. to the whole mm, process. Yeah, that's very interesting. And
4: I've heard that other people have tried it and they've you know, they've just used friends or family. But I was I was informed by the immigration officer. That, um, I was very lucky. My company got me some great lawyers and they said, don't do this because you only get one chance. You don't want to gamble the chance. You don't really, you can, if you get rejected, um, and usually you can, there are cases where people get rejected because they haven't put in enough letters or enough forms, Mm -hmm. you can then appeal. But if you've been rejected because they really don't think you've contributed that much, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't get a chance to appeal that. So then what
1: does this mean? O1A means uh, you're here. I'm Is here. it
0: like a registered, permanent? Um,
4: so it's a residency. Residency, um, okay. So not citizenship. Uh, it does require a company to sponsor me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can either be my employer or other companies that mm-hmm. vouch for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And they just basically say, yep, this person's extraordinary. That's all they have to do. Um, but it's tied to my employment. Mm-hmm. So then um, what what is that what's going on right now if you're Oh ONA A still because I'm still a consultant for a majority of companies. Oh
0: so Yeah, it could be primary employer or other oh. employer type people.
4: Yeah. As long yeah. as someone is vouching for you. Oh. So I've been, I'm still a consultant to many, many companies. Um, I see. So as long as someone's vouching, that's good. Um and it requires, you know, renewal renewal, I think, every Three years where they just look at what you've done. What have you progressed? How have you helped America? Have you paid your taxes? Did you commit any crimes?
0: Uh, so, um, do you in you know the Pacific Northwest here? Uh, do you still get looks maybe or like an eyebrow once you start talking to somebody? Yes, for the <laughs> and they
4: um, people always ask, "Is the accent?" So I've had people ask me, hmm, your accent is it is it German? Like, no. <laughs> is it New Zealander? No. <laughs> well is I gotta tell you, because
0: because like, like, I was trying to nail it and I'm just like, wait a minute, okay. So it's either British or you it's know, all Australian. Over the place. And I was like, it's <laughs> one of those two. And I try to make like an educated guess, but I was like, it's it's like it's too muted. I I yeah, can't kind of figure needed. it out.
4: Yeah. It's because it, it does come out when I'm speaking on uh, when I say certain words or I speak on certain topics. Mm-hmm. Um Or, you know, when I'm when I'm just naturally slurring, because that's what we do a lot in (laughs) in Australia. Um, But it does come out occasionally. Um, And I've also got a bit of a uh, Swedish accent that I can pull out on (laughs) command as well. And so it confuses people a lot. But most people give me the raised eyebrow because of my hair, not because (laughs) of not because of the accent.
1: How did did you learn to uh, talk? Verbal skills. So did you who did you talk to when you were oh, growing up? I, I still have
4: terrible verbal skills. My so I I actually thank my boss, Kevin Turner, mm-hmm. for teaching me a lot of that, not um in terms of actually like helping me speak. But he forced me to get out on the conference circuit mm. that being thrown into, you know, again, you're thrown into a position where you have to teach yourself
2: mm-hmm.
4: because for so long I was not a talker. Mm-hmm. and you can actually see through my career in talking. I only started doing speaking events in 2008. My first one was at the Ethereum Devcon mm-hmm. where I was asked to speak about my algorithm ProgPal and it was my very first conference and I was terrified.
1: The first one, wow.
4: And you can you can hear it in my voice and you can see it's a night and day difference between that and when I spoke at Consensus or when I've been like opening keynote. And it becomes muscle memory. Like any other skill, it becomes muscle memory. So you learn over time how to pace yourself mm-hmm. with your slides mm-hmm. and how to make language flow mm-hmm. and the biggest tip on that is i've had a lot of other peers or a lot of other folks try to present and the worst thing you can do is basically read off a card or just try and put the information on slides and read off the slides
1: Mm-mm. it has
4: to be engaging cute human brains like lots of different types of engagement right so you want to give them something visual and your slides should tie in but not directly connect to what you're saying yeah sort of yeah you need and then they are forced to listen to your words mm-hmm. listen to how you're using your hands how you're walking how you're acting as well as looking at the slides it's mm-hmm. like it has to be an event performance yes a performance yeah. it has to be a piece of art
1: i grew up uh basically selectively mute because of you know stuff that happened in childhood. And then uh in college I was like, I gotta figure out this talking thing. <laughs> it was really hard. And so I was like, I'm gonna waitress. Oh, that's
4: <laughs> a really good idea. W- yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, I was fearful. I was in tears almost every day for a little while. You know, people yelling at me. I had a I was working with a chef that would like throw food at me because oh. I was you know basically he's like dumb um yeah <laughs> i mean he was just be like you dumb and throw oh. like sauce at me and then i come out covered in like sauce and i'm like I'm crying <laughs> yeah um tried bartending to force it to it gets better though it right? gets better it it's gets better. muscle memory yeah
4: <laughs> and so like my my written skills are fantastic because ah. i spent all of my time writing and that ah. was like how ha- like even just video games, uh, role-playing games, writing myself, everything was text. It was all keyboard, but there was no verbal communication really. But you know, my my boss really forced me to go into that conference role. And the other piece was when I started running my own company. So Mm -hmm. I had a stint for about a year, well, not even that, it was six months, Mm -hmm. where I decided, you know what? Being a CEO is super easy. Running your business is easy. I'm gonna go try that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Turns out it's not.
4: (laughs) We made a lot of money in a very short amount of time. But then, mm-hmm. you know, I happily stepped away from it to mm-hmm. be CTO and, you know, scale myself down a little bit. But that taught me a lot as well, because, again, you have to force yourself out of your comfort zone.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Otherwise, mm-hmm. you will never build up that muscle memory.
0: I, I want to kind of go back mm-hmm. a little bit. I want to go um, to Bitcoin. Go you want to go to Bitcoin. OK, yeah. so this what I'm about to do will help okay. uh, that transition. So I'm noticing you're using the word blockchain. Mm -hmm. Not Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. not calling out a different chain, but just using blockchain. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of getting tuned into this idea that maybe it's being a little overused and um, maybe being adopted uh, unknowingly by people maybe in the corporate and enterprise space to signal that they know something about it. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's and a you're buzzword. nodding. Yeah, it's a buzzword, mm-hmm. exactly. It's a buzzword. And so same um, with AI. <laughs> AI, yeah. So recently, uh, recently it was uh, Travis Kling, he was on Marty and Matt show. Like shout out to mm-hmm. Marty and Matt for their uh, show, Tales from the Crypt. I uh, love that show. But um it was so funny because even before Travis spoke uh, Marty called out you know hey so guys like he's going to use DLT distributed ledger technology oh, he's going to use no. that word a lot okay yeah there you go oh. so he's like he's going to use this word a lot so don't be tr- too triggered don't get triggered by it mm-hmm. and that was the first time that i had heard i was like whoa this is like a, a triggering term to use DLT, DLT? versus why would, blockchain why would
1: it be triggering
0: that's what i'm saying that's why i'm that's why i'm bringing it up and she's specifically because using blockchain
4: blockchain well, is a type of ledger Okay. And it, it has a very specific property. It has to be decentralized and peer-to-peer. Decentralized means that no one party sort of has authority over it. Mm-hmm. Um, someone can have authority on what goes into the ledger. Mm-hmm. That's a very specific property that can be tweaked. Mm-hmm. And someone can have authority over how people agree on the ledger. But mm-hmm. the goal is that everyone can have access to the information open. inside. It's open. It's yeah. open. Yeah. Um, distribute, distributed ledger technology. Has been another buzzword that has surfaced from companies trying to pivot off blockchain, mm-hmm. and it's really been in people that are focusing more on the financial aspect of blockchain mm. technology. Blockchain—I'm going to get murdered for saying this—but um, people <laughs> like on to the say, <laughs> "Yes, people like to say blockchain isn't a type of database." I would, I would contest that databases are for storing data there yeah. it's a way to store compartmentalize and format data and yeah. what is a bunch of transactions it's data, data. does it I, I don't care what other people say it's zeros and ones it's data to me yeah. and a blockchain is a form of how do you go compartmentalize store and tile that data together mm-hmm. that sounds awfully a lot like a database <laughs> yeah. now it might not be the computer science term but mm-hmm. I'm a hardware designer, and as we were talking about at lunch, I get very offended that people use the word ASIC. Well, guess what? Language evolves. We all have to evolve. Mm-hmm. And so what distributed ledger technology has happened, I find it most it's mostly talked about in both China and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, those have been the countries I've most frequent frequently encountered it. And it's really been said by companies that want to pivot away from blockchain because they want to be special. It's um, the
0: whole perceptions, managing perceptions yes. stuff then, huh? Oh, man. Huh. Huh, yeah, because, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of leaning towards, I haven't, you know, like, final, final decided on it, but I'm kind of leaning towards trying to maybe go away from the crypto, the mm. word crypto, digital and go asset. to digital assets. Yeah. Uh, because crypto, I always found it really funny because it, it's it's short for a different word mm-hmm. and, you know, Cryptography <laughs> uh, is is an aspect of the space, mm-hmm. but it it is not uh, it is not like everything, right? There's so many. It's multidisciplinary. There's yep. so many aspects to it, right? Yep. So um, I'm thinking digital assets is mm-hmm. just an easier way to understand two different words that yep. do mean a certain genre of technology.
4: Yes, and it's very important to separate. Um, so. Unfortunately, Bitcoin has become both a currency, a type of product, and a movement.
0: And it's and that's <laughs> the name of its blockchain, too. Yes.
4: Yeah. And so it's important to understand that blockchain is a type of car- uh, type of technology that has existed for years, well before Bitcoin ever did. Wikipedia will tell you more, but I think it was started way back in the early 90s.
1: Oh, really?
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: And Bitcoin, uh, digital assets existed well before Bitcoin as well. True. Bitcoin was just a way of taking two technologies and pairing them together in a unique way. And then giving it a catchy title and building a product. Mm -hmm. Building a product is everything of how you get user engagement. And it's important to separate the fact that, you know, there are lots of digital assets today. And Mm -hmm. a digital asset doesn't have to be cryptocurrency either. Exactly. It can just be, there are some banks that have started digitizing uh, your your cash mm-hmm. or they digitize points. That is a type of digital asset. Mm-hmm. So an asset is anything that you derive value from.
2: Mm-hmm. Like know, stars
1: I, at
4: Starbucks. Exactly. Yeah. I might say I derive value from pens. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a pen backed asset mm-hmm. um, that's also digital based in some way.
1: Hmm. What was your so question l- to me? Well, now I want to take to go in like three different directions. But, uh <laughs> We're working on a project around definitions with the council, so would love your feedback on that since we're on this topic. Mm-hmm. But a side note is, uh, you know, we're working on educating policymakers and investors in this space. And very often, I think now like one out of three people, not will just automatically say like it's if it's got blockchain, we won't touch it. And I I respond with what what. Why? Like, like, why do you care if it's written in, with a one or a zero, or if it's green or black? Like, why does that make something not investable or investable? What would you say to that?
4: I I think you should first say, okay, will you boycott um Amazon and will you stop using Amazon because they have a very large blockchain division, mm-hmm. a huge blockchain team. Actually. True. True. Will you stop using Google search engine? Will you not touch Google? They have a very large blockchain team. Will you stop using Facebook? They have their own (laughs) cryptocurrency. We all know what they're (laughs) going to do. (laughs) Um, And we'll use... every Every single technology company is now using blockchain in some way, shape, or form. Right. And you cannot punish technology. Technology is a tool. Yeah. And all you need to do is pick the right tool for the job. Now, that doesn't mean blockchain can be used for everything. Right. And so many people... Um, in 20 between 2014 and 2017, we're using blockchain for everything. Everything. It's a tool and it's only good for certain applications. And so what you need to say to people is, would you say you won't touch a wrench because it's a wrench? (laughs) (laughs) Will you say you won't touch C because it's C? No, it's a tool and you need to pick the right tool for the right job. Now, what they may be trying to say is they're trying to say if it has Bitcoin in it, we won't touch it. Now that is understandable. And why? Because right now, a lot of people are scared about cryptocurrency and the lack of regulation and tax. Mm -hmm. But as you're encountering those people, you can say, hang on, Bitcoin's starting to get regulated. Point to what IRS has done with the taxes. Point to a lot of the discussion that's taken place in Parliament and, you know, by Congress. Talk about the advancements that are happening because... Cryptocurrency as a whole has started to become mainstream. Everyone Absolutely. is talking about it. Yep. They, those people can also be likened to the same sort of folks that said, I won't touch the internet. I think that's fake. Right. Everyone <laughs> touches the internet. Look now. what happened
0: to the internet over the last 20 years. Exactly. You Crypto
4: know. is going to be like that. If, and it, it might not even just be because of the technology, it might just be because people want to keep it alive. And that's okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It's been the other thing is, I don't think people grasp how long Bitcoin's been around. 10 years.
1: Yeah. It's, what I'm,
4: it's, it's it's my entire life. Like I've grown <laughs> up as a byproduct of blockchain. And so when people start to lecture me about how this is just a phase and this is just going to not last, I look at them and I think blockchain has given me my entire career. It's allowed me to talk with governments. It's allowed me to talk with companies that would otherwise never you know, want to discuss with me. It has transcended language barriers as well. And it's transcended um, religious ba- barriers and cultural barriers. Mm. That's powerful in and of itself. And that's not even the m- uh, money aspect of this. <laughs> yeah. It's just this concept of it's some sort of shared passion that everyone just joins in. Yeah. And so the kinds of people that don't want to touch that just because of, oh, it's this scary technology or, oh, I listen to stuff on Twitter. hmm. Perhaps those people also aren't worth your time. Mm. Cause it seems like those people aren't gonna be the ones that are changing the world.
1: Exactly.
0: I it, mean, your words could not be any more <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, for me. Um, because yeah. because I owe everything to my professional career, in my professional career to the internet. Mm-hmm. Like literally everything. And I'm a little older, so I'm going on a couple of decades plus you know, basically solely because of the Internet as we know it today. And I go back to, you know, 15K, not 15K, but 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 basically the, um, you know, baud rates on the modems, 14.4. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. 14.4 modems dialing up into the Teen Internet dee dee when you had to use dee your dee POTS dee line dee at home, <sighs> yep. you know. And so, you know, I have an amazing amount of respect and gratitude for uh, what the Internet has done for me, you know, in my professional care- career. And I'm pretty sure I'm willing to bet I'm putting my money where my mouth is Mm -hmm. and I'm willing to bet that, you know, this world of Bitcoin and blockchains and distributed ledger technologies and crypto assets, digital assets, I'm betting that this is going to this is going to last for a while. And what's that joke? Um, What a time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) We're here at the birth of brand new money that. If we don't self-annihilate the human race, you know, (laughs) this could be around easily for hundreds, maybe thousands of years.
4: So you look at China. China's created their own cryptocurrency now. Oh, Um, wow. Not sure. So they've been studying blockchain for almost uh, six years now. They were hiring blockchain architects back in 2017. They've banned the trading of cryptocurrency in China and they've also some of the jurisdictions banned crypto mining in some ways it's very murky over there however they've created their own cryptocurrency their own coin backed by the chinese yuan Mm. and central bank of china um, to facilitate payments Mm -hmm. and it's going to be integrated into wechat pay So people are adopting cryptocurrency and blockchain every single day. It's just happening in different ways. Perhaps it's not what we'd all like. Mm -hmm. You know, we want everyone to be on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. That will never happen because governments want
1: control. What do you think of Libra then?
4: Libra right now is a very... So if we split it into the technology side, I love the technology. Hmm. Move as a programming language, I believe, has the chance to replace Solidity on Ethereum. Hmm. And I believe it has the ability to teach an entire new generation of programmers how to uh, build distributed applications on blockchain.
3: Oh, it is that
4: easy to use and it's that pleasant to work with. Hmm. Libra as an idea. I like the idea of a currency that is backed by all of these real world assets and providing power to people.
2: Yeah.
4: I do not understand why Facebook had to create it. And I don't understand why Libra needed to be created and why Bitcoin wasn't just used. Right. Why couldn't you create another stable coin mm-hmm. and back it by all these real world assets? Right. And the truth of the matter is because Facebook wanted to build a product mm-hmm. and they wanted to be known for building that product. Mm-hmm. Libra is going to do good things for crypto. As much as we might all hate it, the fact that it's getting in mainstream adoption <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's getting people to pay attention to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is powerful. And so for that we have to thank Libra.
0: I mean they're they are the only online sovereign online sovereign entity that has what 2.2 2.4 billion people in its kind of like fold. Mm-hmm. So I mean I, I my answer would be like Since they're the only one that has that many people, they're kind of like the default, de facto, like, Mm -hmm. go-to place to to make Libra. But as far as, like, the motivations behind it, I mean, I'm kind of going more on the, um, I don't know, the the base human layers of envy and greed and and all of that and maybe a little bit of uh, wrath. Uh, because z- maybe Mr. Zuckerberg hates the uh, the the twins so much, and the fact that they became you know mm-hmm. th- as known in the world as the first Bitcoin billionaires, and there was a recent book that came out you know on that the Winklevi.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know. I'm I'm kind of mm-hmm. I'm kind of going towards that.
4: And then you have the association members as well. So they signed the documents for the founding association right. two days ago. Twenty one. Um, oh, so
0: they're the t- first twenty one are members. all locked in now. Yeah. One
4: of them is Bison Trails. They're up in New York. They're a scrappy blockchain company that builds DevOps infrastructure for proof of stake. And they did not pay the $10 million. How they got in is they contributed, you know, real world value by building technology. (laughs) They're going to build out a lot of the node infrastructure for Libra. Oh. You've got. Um, I don't actually know the other big players. I think Uber was Uber still in there? Maybe not. I, don't I think it
0: still that. is. I don't. Th- I don't Uber recall seeing news Apple. about them leaving. Yeah.
4: There, there's some big guys that are that are in there. Um, and then you have a lot of what I thought was great was um, charity organizations and. Think the Red Cross was also in there, so mm-hmm. they've got health organizations and charity organizations, mm-hmm. and you know folks that are focused on human rights. So, so but that's yeah. really
0: interesting to me that the uh, cover charge, the ten million dollar cover charge, was not paid by certain members because mm-hmm. uh, because well, you that means
4: figure this out pretty easily because Bison Trails has only raised three million. Uh, <laughs> 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 Bison Trails got an outside investment in there, or it might have actually only been one point five but the, the thing to understand about that is you know m- they're contributing in other ways
3: mm-hmm.
4: not and a lot of the other thing is those uh, organizations the um the uh health organizations and the charities did not pay 10 million right mm-hmm. so the 10 million cover charge was never you'll notice it was never ac- actually publicized by facebook this was a myth or some sort of fictitious stuff that the oh. media picked up from one random source. Mm. So I know of Libra cause oh. I was like heavily involved in that mm. through my previous uh, career and sat down. So they're, they're doing it case by case basis specifically what they're looking for is people that are going to focus on this for the next 100 years. It's going to become a core of their business. There's some, some reasons why Uber might be involved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having a digital currency as core of their business, huge, they're looking for people that are going to really spread the adoption Mm -hmm. and they're looking for countries where they currently don't have reach. So they Mm -hmm. want a Chinese presence. They want, um, you know, a uh, Mexican presence. They want all these other countries. They want a very diverse group of participants. And the job of these founding association members is going to be treating this like a job. Go out and onboard people into the ecosystem.
2: Mm, That's good.
4: So remember at lunch, I talked about how Bitcoin mining is a type of user engagement. This is a type. So the Libra Association is a type of user engagement. It's just a little different. Instead of... Their consensus algorithm is each of those members is now legally bound to go out and bring on new users into the ecosystem. The more users on Libra, the more the coins value will grow and the more those, you know, the tokens that they get will grow in value. So that's really those two engagement mechanisms at work.
0: So you know, this I'm, is a take that, uh, you know, I, I will readily admit, this is a take that I have not seen or heard in, in Most at all. Most people
4: won't because they're, yeah. um, that's the other thing I noticed. There's, there's very few people that are actually working in the business side of blockchain. You, you meet a lot of people that say they, they are, but none of them are meeting with these companies and none of them are building infrastructure and mm-hmm. none of them are really, you know, involved in the day to day. Right. Mostly, a lot of the folks you see at conferences, sadly, are still very junior positions. Mm-hmm. My, my thing I hate right now is you get a lot of folks at conferences saying that they're from Amazon or Microsoft or Google. They're representing those companies. And... Some of these smaller conferences in blockchain advertise that really broadly. Oh, but oh, when you dive right. into it, it's like, oh, he's a consultant for Google. Right. Mm. Or he's a junior oh, wow. sales guy That's for Google. It's even more removed it's, it's horrible. I've, in the mining side, this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was at a conference in Miami mm-hmm. where um, some guy from Visa was advertised mm. as a keynote
3: speaker.
2: Keynote. And,
4: and they're like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. He's from Visa. Turns out that he's just a consultant yeah. and he only worked for two months.
1: Oh no! It's, it's marketing. It's horrible. <laughs> it is marketing, but it's bad. Yeah, That's yeah. bad marketing. Yeah. Uh, and so
4: people come all the way in, and you know they get super excited because oh, you know this guy from Visa is going to talk, and all he was doing was pitching his ICO. <laughs> oh no! It was like God. they're all like, oh man, oh, no. horrible. <laughs>
1: it's horrible. Okay, with that, let's let's go back to happiness. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your mining, like mm-hmm. mining. So you you, you uh, just compared it to. Um, Libra, user engagement. It's it's like the tickle or the gateway, you said. Uh, Talk more about that.
4: Mining is a very critical part that you have to understand about blockchain technology, which isn't really um, widely broadcast. Mm -hmm. So when Bitcoin was created, you needed a way to issue the money for Bitcoin. You needed a way to distribute it fairly. And then you needed a way to incentivize participants to keep verifying the data. Mm -hmm. so in blockchain you have auditors that's basically what miners are they're very very um they're they're auditors that sit in their basements with their machines and their job is to pour over the ledger the books and make sure you know everything's up and above kosher um, kosher okay and you have to pay them for that work you have to incentivize them somehow no one is going to do anything in the world for free it just doesn't happen (laughs) um and so that's where the mining came in. So part of it was you need to distribute the wealth as much as possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And so you need to build the, the gateway so that anyone can participate. Anyone can jump in and start contributing and get rewarded for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You needed to design it in a way that it was grounded in a real-world asset that's hard to acquire at scale, electricity. This Mm -hmm. is why we call it proof of work. Work is not meant to be, hey, I'm proving that I'm scribbling on paper. It's the physics definition. Work, energy expenditure. That's why energy plays such a big portion in Bitcoin. And proof of work systems, by the way, existed well before blockchain did, back in 1985. This was a common type of technology used for spam filters.
0: Yeah, so like um, the Bitcoin white paper, what's it, like nine pages? Mm -hmm. And it's got like uh, eight references in the back. Some say that that last page of references is the most important because it contains actually the foundations that were all Lego pieced together Correct. to mm-hmm. form Bitcoin mm-hmm. as we know it today.
4: And proof yeah. of work was one of those foundations. So it has some goals. Number one, a malicious actor should be punished heavily, should, should not be able to easily modify the ledger or harm the ledger in any way. Amen. And so that's where you get the proof of work piece. Mm-hmm it's very hard to amass a lot of energy at scale and it's very hard to amass a lot of hardware at scale Mm -hmm. because you need some sort of capex investment and an opex investment. And you need to repeat it. And after you've done your malicious activity on the ledger, you're also going to be harming your own investment in the chain. (laughs) You're going to be, you know, damaging your own coin's value. So in general, malicious actors won't want to go do that. The other part is, like I said, you need the gateway. You need to ensure everyone can get onboarded into the ecosystem in the same way. And that, you know, Alice has the exact same chance as Bob to earn a Bitcoin. That was the idea back then. And then also it's about a way of competition. Mm -hmm. So from competition comes specialization. Just like I grew my career and I became specialized in optimization, so too have people grown careers in Bitcoin and they've started to specialize against each other. Mm -hmm. Now the problem was Satoshi didn't have a big hardware background. Mm -hmm. So that issuance piece, that fairness and fairness of issuance became gamed heavily and that's Mm -hmm. okay. This happens in beta products all Mm -hmm. the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, Bitcoin was going through its alpha test. Um, (laughs) But what happened was um, it was designed to be running on CPUs. So the, the, piece of hardware that is most commonly distributed around the world, and everyone has access to it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out you could get a massive speed up if you understood how to do GPU programming. Mm. So people like me could come in and sell you a premium miner, and you could get a 40x advantage over the CPU guy. Okay, wow. so
0: just for uh, simplicity's simplicity mm-hmm. sake, simp- CPU is central processing unit, mm-hmm. which is the brains of any sort of computing device, mm-hmm. and then GPU is the graphics processing? Uh,
4: general, oh, general. general general. Uh, General uh, processing unit. Oh, so oh, that was those Yeah, that's a common oh, misconception. What? GPUs oh. are not for graphics.
1: Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, so,
4: so what? most people think GPUs are for graphics yeah. because the original GPUs before Nvidia and AMD came into existence, the things like Voodoo, three F, 3f- three uh, FX, and that old stuff, it was for it was for games.
1: Uh huh.
4: But GPUs took on a life of their own where they became really focused on mathematics when high-performance computing started to peak in the early uh, 2000s. So a GPU is really being designed to be a very hardcore math, what we call an ASIC, an application-specific integrated circuit. And that means that it's designed for a single task. A GPU's purpose in life is to go and crunch a bunch of numbers. CPUs aren't great at this. CPUs are very uh, single-threaded. It means they can do one task then move to the next. One task move to the next. It's fine for your computer. It's fine for directing tasks. But it's not Fine for doing complex tasks. GPUs, on the other hand, can do things in parallel, which means that they can do a part of this task, then move to the next one, then come back to task one. They can jump all around the board. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: They're very efficient, Mm -hmm. they're very low power as well. Mm -hmm. So, most of the GPUs used today are used in healthcare, medicine, self driving and fridges and microwaves. Oh,
1: wow. GPUs are,
4: like, of course, they're heavily used in the gaming industry still, but a majority of what they're used for day-to-day is in the HPC, is in the computing and the AI space. And there's no graphics involved in that. It's Mm. just
1: mathematics. Hmm. Oh, just math. So to solving. continue on
0: that, mm-hmm. so basically they gamed the GPU and exactly. turned it into an application-specific integrated circuit, yep. which and is even faster.
4: Exactly. And then you go up a step and you go into the FPGA land and you get a 100x speed up. Oh my goodness. And then ASICs, real ASICs came out, which was custom silicon with the Bitcoin hashing algorithm mm. um, embedded on it. Oh. And they became they become very fast and very power efficient. That was a thousand x speed up. Yeah, yeah so that's
0: something that I think um, most people don't understand, and it's kind of hard to think about it. But it's like you're taking software and you're actually uh, creating hardware mm-hmm. with it, specialized hardware. Specialized and I, hardware. And I know this because I grew up in telecom and wide area networks, and internet, and I know that uh, you know basically you created very fast wide area networks. By creating very fast chips, which is the ASICs, which is the software of routing, routing Mm -hmm. protocols of IP packets, you build that into hardware and make it as fast Mm -hmm. as you can.
4: The the easiest way to explain it is programming is about writing in a human readable language and then you feed it to something called a compiler. Think of a compiler like a translator. Uh, The translator's job is to take it into machine language, zeros and ones, that the computer can understand. However, things always get lost in translation. In real life, that happens all the time. So sometimes you can skip that compiler. You can natively write in machine language. There's a step below that, which is called hardware. And that's where you take those zeros and ones and you turn it into circuits. This is how computers are made up. They're a bunch of very tightly packed circuits... And all you do is you go and create a custom circuit. And its whole job is to just keep completing one task. Uh-huh. And so this was what a, a Bitcoin ASIC is. It's a piece of silicon, very tiny, designed to com- do one task.
3: Uh-huh.
4: Find a Bitcoin hash. Find <laughs> Specifically, technically for the folks that are listening, find a nonce. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's it. And that's all it does at scale with many, many, many chips. This makes so much more sense, <laughs> sense now. <laughs> The problem with all of this was the only people that knew about GPUs, FPGAs, or ASICs were Uh people like me on Bitcoin talk involved (laughs) in the ecosystem. Uh And all of a sudden the, the people that had a 1000 X speed up got a lion's share of the Bitcoin and the poor guys with CPUs couldn't find a block. No So then what was created was pools. You'll hear fidelity investments, uh, right here in in Seattle, actually, aren't they? Fidelity Investments.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're based out of San Fran, I want to say. Uh, They have an office here. They They do have have a big office here.
4: So they're, um, they're Bitcoin crazy. And one of their folks, Bob McElrath talks quite heavily about the centralization of mining pools.
0: Is he hmm. part of the blockchain council? Is Fidelity no. part of the blockchain we need council? To get on
1: there. <laughs> I think
4: you do. So mining pools, all the little CPU miners were angry. They're like, oh my God, we can't get a block. Because what used to happen was, was a randomized lottery. You basically, there was a piece of work mm-hmm. and then everyone competed to get the work done. And whoever won the puzzle got the reward. Mm-hmm. It was only one winner. So the CPU guys said, man... You know, these mean GPU miners are stealing the pot from us. Mm -hmm. We're going to join forces together and create what's known as a pool Mm. where we act as one mega GPU and then we share the rewards. We share the rewards based upon the portion of electricity or hashes we've contributed
2: whoa
4: and that was a form of collusion the thing that you know (laughs) you're not meant to you're not meant to do like the white paper specifically says we need to prevent uh, colluding parties oh
3: wow Wow. people find
4: ways to do this all the time they find ways to break the rules so see there was a cpu-based pool and then it started to evolve until the only way you could mine was by being a pool was by mining to a pool so a pool's job is they actually process the blocks. They go and get transactions out of what's called the mempool. Think of mempool as the holding area for all your transactions, like okay. a bank it's clearing a house. It's a queue. Yep, it's yeah. a queue. Or yeah. the bank clearinghouse. Okay. And they pluck transactions one at one at a time and they put them into blocks. Hmm. And then they send those blocks out to the miners and they say, I'm missing this solution of the puzzle. Go solve it. Oh. All the miners contribute all these hash rates. Mm. And then they're paid proportionally to the hash rate they contribute.
2: Mm.
4: And that's how mining works. Most people still, if they read online, they still think mining is a lottery. It's not a lottery anymore. It hasn't been for almost eight years. Mm. But the media misrepresents it so much. And it's a narrative that's carried on because, um, because there's no actual you know, mining developers out there on the conference circuit, out there at the media talking about how this works. Mm. So the problem, there was the mining pool centralization problem. The other part was hardware. When ASICs came out, all of a sudden, unless you were in China, you couldn't get an ASIC.
1: Mm -mm. That
4: locked you out of, like, the rest of the world. And there were only so many ASICs produced as well. Nobody knows. So only a few lucky folks in the world got to have an ASIC, and they got a 1000x speed up. Uh So they got more of the pie than others. So when you're designing, you know, a blockchain, you have to think about all these little factors. The one thing you learn in hardware is that everything is eventually connected. Like if you if you add something here, you're gonna. Um, if you add an optimization somewhere, you, you get it's it. It's the laws. It's the laws of physics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, it's literally literally the laws of physics. You can't have something without taking away from someplace else. I mean, just and so that yeah.
4: that takes place into blockchain as well. Hmm. And so you have to think about how are you designing. How are you designing your monetary policy? How are you Mm -hmm. going to target as many people as possible? Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
4: So going back to how that ties into Libra, Bitcoin wanted to use mining because it didn't want a central authority that did the hard work of educating people about what blockchain was and what Bitcoin was and why you should use it. Instead, it was like, Nope, we're going to make mining and everyone should be able to participate and then they can earn some coins and then eventually they'll want to figure out what they can do with their coins. And if they can't do anything with it, they'll go create something to do with it. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. Libra, on the other hand, is coming at blockchain 10 years later. And they're saying, well, as a company, we probably don't want to base our entire technology stack on hardware that's produced in China. So Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that. We're instead going to go for a kind of proof of stake method, where these association members become things called validators, mm-hmm. and their job is to validate the transactions. But they're all public regulated companies or nonprofits that are regulated. Mm-hmm. They have to play in the world of, um, you know, politics and also laws.
3: Mm-hmm. We all live
0: in politics yes. and laws, yeah.
4: And mm-hmm. so it's a little different. And so their job now is to go and create the value of Libra. They have to go and create applications that will use Libra. They have to go educate people about Libra, onboard people into Libra. They are the consensus algorithm. So I think Libra will work. I think it's going to come out. The Libra Foundation is dedicated to it. The other thing people don't understand is most people think Facebook is building Libra. It's not what happens. The Libra Association is like very, very against any sort of authority ruling over them. Mm. It's a separate organization that sits in Switzerland. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Ca- Calibra, which is Facebook's spin off division that created the language, they're completely different from Facebook. They have their own office, they have their own team mm. that doesn't really talk to Facebook, mm-hmm. they have mm. their own funding. Mm. And their job is they've made everything open source and they're looking for open source contributors. Mm. And the only product they're going to build is a wallet. And they're focused on building a wallet. Just mm. like I said, they need to create an application mm-hmm. that encourages use of mm. Libra. So the value goes up. Right. Yeah.
0: So, again thank you for this take (laughs) because this is a really, really detailed and nuanced, you know, way to look at it that I had not, you know, read or heard before. And so I kind of got to like, now I realize maybe the U S government has it all wrong and creating the fear of being dragged in front of Congress to be interrogated by Congress. Maybe they need to rethink, uh, the kind of the Mm -hmm. fear that they're putting into companies because company, notable companies are withdrawing, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, instead of uh, fighting it and making fear happen, maybe, like, figure out how to work, I don't know. Together. Their big thing
4: is, once again, they were, I, I see it clear as day, they were misled by the media. How do all these people know about Libra? They read about it on, you know, the Washington, or Huffington Post, or the Wall Street Journal. They read about it in the news. Where did the news get their information from? Some random outsider, like, on the internet. One Mm. of the things you can do now, which is really scary, is you can sit with a fake pseudonym online and say, hey, I have exclusive insider information
2: Mm. and
4: act as an authority figure. And people blindly believe you. They do. I've gone through this myself. When I created ProgPal, there's many articles about it. When I created that algorithm, it was largely ignored for a year and a half until it got pushed into mainstream adoption for Ethereum.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. All of a sudden, people went and said, oh, my God, this person is paid by Nvidia and she's been colluding with Nvidia to create this algorithm Hmm. and oh there's all these other companies that are funding her and she's just an agent of all these very evil actors. Why? Because someone decided it would be very funny to go on Reddit, make a post and act as a figure of authority. Hmm. And then I watched as all the mainstream media picked it up and and quoted this or sorry they didn't officially quote the person they just literally parroted what he had said Hoping no one would go find the original Reddit post, mm. and it was baffling. Mm.
0: All but, untrue, then basically. Yes, not I, even basically. I, it's like, just un- flat untrue. Like it
4: was, it was horrible. It's like I spent time building this bloody thing, and then all of a sudden, just once again, the the common complaints are: Oh, well, someone your age can't know of this. Oh, well, someone of your age, <sighs> you know, can't write this. Oh, you're Someone actually said in a public statement, Christy is a girl, uh, girls don't do hardware engineering. I was what? like, oh, how, and Decrypt published that
3: article.
4: <gasps> I was like, how did this make it into media? There's so not no only is it way. slanderous, but I realized that as long as you act like you have some insider information, the media will blindly trust you. It got really bad towards a prominent member of the um, Ethereum Classic community, mm. Bob Summerwell he got given some documents someone had doctored oh, no. and they did a really bad job as well. They made a fake WhatsApp screenshot of me apparently talking to the contact name was NVIDIA Corporation. This <gasps> is how bad the job was. Wow, Who puts NVIDIA Corporation in their, What's in that? their, in their directory? Like when you put a name <laughs> yeah. or like something, no, instead it's <laughs> NVIDIA Corporation. And then the um, user icon is like a shadowy figure. <sighs> and I'm looking at this like, what are you serious and decrypt again reported on it oh and it was man. like oh we received this leaked information i was like so you're saying that someone took and it was a photograph of a phone screen as well so <laughs> someone had taken a i'm like guys oh, someone's Stop. taken a <laughs> photograph of a phone screen and i'm told and it supposedly it's me talking to a shadowy figure known as the nvidia corporation and what it says literally the the messages are are you ready to move forty thousand units I'm like, yes.
3: <laughs> I'm like,
4: how is this proof of collusion at all? He's like, oh, well, it shows you you have a relationship with NVIDIA. I'm like, great. I talked to them a few times and I dealt business with them. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> everyone in the mainstream does Basically, this. Basically,
1: people need to practice, like, stopping and be like, wait a minute. You know, does this make sense more often?
4: Media needs to grow up. Yeah. In, the, um, in crypto, so... yeah. Mainstream media has been punished very heavily for misreporting false information from both governments and politicians. Mm -hmm. Blockchain media has not hit that uh, curve yet. So what happened with Libra was I I remember very clearly someone posted in um, on I think it was Telegram that they had got an insider information that got sent to a reporter. The reporter picks it up and then all the other news sites literally copy from the main site and then change the words a little
0: i've come to despise the renews. Uh, re-news yes you know it's not actual r- real real reporting firsthand it's just re-reporting yep you know what's already happened yeah and, yeah. and people don't know like no. I, I still can't tell a lot of times if it's re-reporting unless you
4: know? you're there in the events as it's happening you don't and so so much of the mining industry is not reported at all because it all takes place in china mm. um there's a big gap actually in the media we consume in the West. Um, so China is like completely walled off, especially in the blockchain space. Like I, I've met the Libra folks and they are incredibly smart and they're very passionate about what they're building.
0: I can't believe David Marcus hasn't quit already considering no, he, all the heat that he's getting. Yeah, he's dedicated to it. Yeah.
4: The other thing is I can understand why the U S government is a little concerned, mm-hmm. And that really is because Facebook does have a history of being terrible data, history, <laughs> but never attribute mal- um, to malice what you can attribute to ignorance. Because mm. the reality is Mr. Zucker- Zuckerberg was probably, probably a complete moron when he started the business. And he was like, any CEO, I've been in that position as well, where he got in over his head and he made a bunch of mistakes. And then mm-hmm. some really smart people had to come in and clean it up for him. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. He made some mistakes. It doesn't mean that he's going to repeat that behavior with um, Libra. And they've gone out of their way to show that they're not interested in any way in like participating in Libra. Mm. Like th- They've created something and now they want to let it out into the world and let it grow and mm-hmm. blossom. Mm. And it's bizarre to me that people are seeking some sort of malicious ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. I heard
0: a rumor that a lot of the uh, Libra or the Facebook team, you know, working on that uh, was actually based here in Seattle. Is that true? No, San Francisco. Oh, it's in San Francisco. Um, So
4: they have a pretty big uh, blockchain division they've been recruiting for for two and a half years. Two years ago, they started coming to a lot of blockchain conferences Mm -hmm. and trying to poach the best of the best. And they actually got blocked. From the conferences because no one. Oh. So these were the hardcore crypto cryptography conferences, not cryptocurrency, oh, okay. like where all the real nerds hang out. Mm. And people didn't want, you know, Facebook interfering or yeah, coaching yeah. talent. But most of the folks are based in San Francisco. Yeah. It was it was actually really pleasant. So really as
0: nice. as we uh, so as we land the plane here, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that um, mm. information. By the way, so as we try to land the plane here, it's coming on like three fifteen right now. ProgPal, programmable proof of work, is your child, <laughs> for lack of a better description, I'm or how one would of you? You're one <laughs> of the parents. Okay, good, good. So then, like, what do you wanna? And and you leaving your day job recently was news, mm-hmm. and so uh, to the degree that. It, it is that important to you? Um, Could you, I guess, explain, you know, high level Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, folks like us and people who might be interested, what is ProgPal and then what could it do?
4: So just like I talked about the Bitcoin, um, why Bitcoin mining exists, it's for monetary issuance. Mm -hmm. The second largest blockchain, Ethereum, also has a mining algorithm. It's Mm -hmm. called Ethash. And it was designed to distribute money fairly. They chose to target GPUs because what they said was GPUs are most commonly distributed and widely available to everyone. That was their focus and their goal. Mm -hmm. They looked at what Bitcoin had done previously and they said they didn't want to be like Bitcoin. So they built an algorithm that was targeted around GPUs. Unfortunately, ETHash had some vulnerabilities in it. Because it was designed by a software developer who thought they understood hardware Mm -hmm. versus a hardware designer who has worked in silicon and knows all the Mm. tricks. And so a group of friends, um, we called ourselves If Def Else because we wanted to be cool like Satoshi. Um, (laughs) We came together and we we saw a massive problem, not for any noble reason, but just because we were engineers wanting to fix a problem. And we decided to fix it. And then once we did that, we were like, "Great! Who do we take this to? Who do we show it to?" I we all thought that um, Vitalik and Vlad Zamfir, Vitalik Buterin, creator of Ethereum, were one of the creators, and yeah. Vlad Zamfir were this were the ruling governing bodies that decided everything. So I went and annoyed them both <laughs> until Vlad um, politely told me no you know, the community has to adopt this and here are the steps you have to take and you have to go write a white paper and you have to go build some community sentiment and he guided me every step of the way. Mm -hmm. I learned that's a very hard thing to do. Um, And so ProgPow is designed to fix some of the vulnerabilities in Ethereum that allow you to build ASICs that give you a massive speed up. So again, changing the monetary issuance policy, not making it fair. It's designed to preserve the existing ecosystem which got built very heavily in 2017 Mm -hmm. which was gpu cards and Mm -hmm. a basis for gpus and it's been a roller coaster for sure it's been a lesson in how decentralized governance works and it was the first exposure ethereum really had to how do we go and create decisions when a majority of our user base does not speak up because there's a divide in ethereum right now the developers sit on western media twitter Um, there's a thing called Gitter, which is like developer chat and in calls on Skype, but a majority of the miners are in China or places that are disenfranchised and Mm. don't have access to those technologies because of censorship, or maybe it's just not common to their day-to-day stuff, Mm. or they don't speak English. Mm. How do you go create, collect sentiment from your entire population when you don't even know how to speak to them? Uh Uh-oh. It's a big, big lesson. And then the other piece of it was the reason why I was passionate about creating ProgPow and pushing it out into the ecosystem is I was de- I was involved in designing the Ethereum ASICs.
2: Mm.
3: So,
4: so I knew they were out there. And the people that had an Ethereum ASIC all of a sudden didn't want the monetary policy to be changed mm. because they had made an investment. Oh, yes. So a lot of my opposition has been people that are very strongly against... Um, changing the algorithm because they already have that advantage and they get more money every day. Again, monetary policy is, you know, no one wants fairness. Um, a lot of people call me a communist when I, when I say things like this. <laughs> the trolls. But yes. But the whole point is everyone needs to be at that same starting point. Mm. If Bob has a, a much higher um, ceiling and like he has some sort of secret optimization that Alice doesn't know about, the floor isn't very even. Right. It's been a fantastic lesson in teaching the world about hardware mm-hmm. um, and about how the psychology of mining works and really connecting a lot of these gaps. It was eye-opening to see some really intelligent people in the Ethereum developer community not even understand how mining works. Like I explained today, most people still think it's a luck game mm-hmm. where, you know, only one person gets a reward.
0: There is randomness. There is. And that and that gets confused with um, mm-hmm. this word luck.
4: Most people you think know? everyone's wasting energy and all chasing the same problem. That's not how it's working anymore. Mm. Pools do all of that work, and they coordinate with each other, and that's a big problem for sure. But that's how it works, and you know you contribute so much electri- um, you contribute so much electricity and hashes to a pool, and you get paid proportionally to that. That's it,
2: mm.
4: and it's no 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 one on the media, even CoinDesk's own educational articles don't talk about this Mm. course scientific forced me to learn about how bad it is because all of my colleagues really wanted to understand about this blockchain thing and they started looking online and i realized how bad the materials were when they started talking to me about it
3: Mm. was like
4: where did you read that that's horribly wrong i've never had to read coindesk's educational articles. (laughs) i've never had to read like all this educational material out there so it's been a it's been a complete blindside for me right
3: wow it's
4: it's so bad, and it was used to be like that on the monetary side of Bitcoin back before real authorities like Anthony—how do you pronounce his last name? Um, Top Oh, Antonopoulos. Yeah, there yeah, we go. yeah, yeah,
0: Andreas Antonopoulos. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry,
4: Andreas, yeah. I butchered your name, <laughs> but like until he came out and actually started talking about the monetary issuance side of things. Uh,
1: wow, starting so to connect all the. <laughs> Whoa. So then uh,
0: so then, ProgPile, I mean, mm-hmm. so what do you, uh, what's the current status and like where would you like to see so it So it's
1: been pulled into
4: mainstream adoption. Um, the plan is to adopt it into Ethereum next year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and that has been the plan. It actually had two audits. One audit was done by Intel, which I'm really proud of. Oh. Um, and then it had a software audit done by Least Authority, mm-hmm. who did the audit for Zcash and Ethereum before. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. And the audits, cl- the audits were funded because someone, again, on the internet, decided to take a position and say, Christie's left some optimization in there that only she knows. Uh. And there's a backdoor in there.
3: Uh-huh.
4: And a lot of fake news was created and a lot of fake media. And so then the Ethereum developer community said, well, we b- guess we better get an audit the audit came back squeaky clean and there was no of course there was no back door
3: oh, and i'm man.
4: what i kept saying is am i that badass that somehow <laughs> you know i managed to fool the entire world <laughs> and so that's been there the opposition's repeated points they try and they try and create this technical word salad to confuse people or they create a lot of fake propaganda now as as cto of a company that plans to go public i cannot go and fight a lot of that I can't be out, you know, in the limelight talking about prog pal. I can't actually talk a lot about things that, you know, don't involve my day job. Number one, it's not fair to my company because I'm spending time on something else other than the company. Number two, you know, you just it's just not good form. Mm -hmm. But if I step away from that, you know, then I have all my time freed up and I can start to educate the space. And that's what needs to happen. There needs to be a lot of education. Just like today, you've sort of understood why mining is important. Mm -hmm. I have to go out there and educate the world on that whole piece that is missing in people's knowledge gaps. Completely, yeah. And it's not going to happen if I sit as CTO of a company. It's not going to happen if I sit in my house. It's going to happen through writing and through speaking. And through podcasts and through all sorts of other forms of media,
1: I'd love to invite you to. Uh, we have a lot of um, speaking engagements as counsel mm-hmm. to policymakers, and we're actually doing a couple trips down to Olympia. Oh, so wow. I'd love to invite you to be your um, expert. I'd love if to. I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, just.
0: She's literally, you know. Oh my she's god! She's literally a O one A. She's
1: literally an one A and O G. <laughs> yes. Yes. Seriously, I want to. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: This would be. It's, I mean, could you, this is like, you know, you're an artist, is an artist, and so it's Musician. like, this is like, you know, the old joke, because I'm a huge fan of, um, of uh, movies and television, mm-hmm. and so it's, the old joke is, um, you know, life imitating art, which imitates life. And, you know, to literally have someone who was brought into the system, uh, I'm sorry, brought in to live in the United States under a very special visa to go into, you know, congressional and Senate, you know, uh, environments to speak as the expert as that they were brought in for. Yeah. that j- just seems so poetic I'd to love to. <laughs>
1: and, you know, we actually have several uh, local governments that are interested in oh, really? uh, furthering the adoption of blockchain. And so um, helping us figure out what are the best use cases to implement mm-hmm. right away to showcase the power that could be mm-hmm. unleashed, uh, we would really love your brain.
4: One of the uh, projects I worked on way back in the day was actually working with the Ukrainian government. Oh, wow. It was sad because what they wanted to build was... They were looking at blockchain specifically as some way to save their country from corruption. And it's the saddest Mm -hmm. thing to have to explain to them that no, blockchain is not going to solve corrupted parties entering in corrupted data
0: yeah garbage in garbage out yeah yeah
4: it's just it's not going to fix that what blockchain is is a tool to create transparency and if you don't want to start with transparency with a centralized system a decentralized system isn't going to help you exactly and it was it was heartbreaking to have to explain that because they were so passionate about it yeah
0: yeah so just to be crystal clear when you say blockchain you're talking about I think there's like four quadrants of uh, permissioned and uh, all of it and all that public You're... and
4: private. So uh, yeah. core forced me. Um, one of the things that I did in my previous jobs was build software solutions across many different kinds of technologies. Go build an applicate. Figure out what is the application and then what is the right blockchain technology, right? Like Bitcoin, Zcash, or Monero mm-hmm. that matches this application, mm-hmm. versus what usually happens where you build. You build an application on a technology and you shoehorn it in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's anywhere from sometimes companies want a private blockchain and there are valid use cases for it. Sometimes you want an open blockchain. There is permission and permissionless. And there's also consensus algorithms when you throw them in, change how a blockchain works. There's proof of authority where one node has authority over what goes in there's proof of stake where no one has authority over what goes in but only a few people can verify or validate it. Mm.
0: So then if it's all those definitions, how do we uh, um, how do we use the word blockchain and and try to be as um, as sort of specific as possible though.
4: So the big piece is you liken blockchain to programming. Programming is very broad. So yes. AI. That's what blockchain is. It's very broad. Then you break it down. When people say, you know, they're talking about digital assets, that's a definition. And then I think the other thing that might help is teaching people how you go build your own blockchain. So this is something mining developers got commissioned to do quite heavily. Hmm. Litecoin didn't start because, you know, some really fat or sorry, um, I'll actually pick a real technology. Dash didn't start because there were some really intelligent people that wanted to create, you know, a brand new revolutionary coin. What happened was, oh, I want to make my own coin. I can commission this person to fork Bitcoin for me, Mm. make some tweaks so it's unique, and then I can go and make a ton of money.
2: Right, right, right. So (laughs) teaching people
4: how a blockchain is created might also teach them, you know, how to understand it. So when you're creating a blockchain, you have like five different parameters and you can slot in different technologies into there. Mm.
3: Mm.
4: And it's kind of like no different to building, um, no different to the programming space. You pick... A programming language, Mm. so C, C++. You pick a target platform, Mac, Windows, or Linux. You pick your target audience, Mm. and then you might pick like your colors, and you build your product around it. Blockchain is the same. You pick your consensus algorithm. Mm. You pick the cryptography behind it. Mm. So Zcash, its big thing is zero knowledge proofs. How do I, how do I prove something without having all the information to back it up? How do I prove something unequivocally? So that's, you pick that, pick your monetary uh, issuance policy and your, your supply. And some, some coins go a step further and define their inflation and deflation schedule, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then... That's it. That's how you build a blockchain. Mm.
0: So are you... Um, I mean, so should corporations that want to build their own permissioned private blockchain, they're a multinational company, they got data centers all over the mm-hmm. world, they could benefit from this maybe in the back office somehow. You're okay with them calling that a blockchain solution? Yes. Okay. Because it is blockchain. Okay. They okay.
4: shouldn't call it Bitcoin because it's not Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 but it is a type of blockchain. Um, yeah. But the, the key... You always, when you're educating or defining definitions, take it from Wikipedia or from like, you know, Mm Merriam-Webster. So blockchain is defined as distributed digital ledger that is decentralized. That's a lot of buzzwords, but the Mm. distributed portion is important. It means that data can be sent from China to the U.S. with hopefully very little lag in between. It's digital, so it has no physical... That, that one's tricky because mm-hmm. it will always have a physical presence but the goal is that it can also have a digital presence and then decentralized meaning that no one authority that well bob, that part if it's yeah, one company it can still be decentralized if it's within a company IBM's food blockchain is a private blockchain it's okay. decentralized because no one authority has any say over it IBM shares it with Walmart and a bunch of other companies they all oh, I see they I see. all share ownership of the ledger but no one party has any say.
0: So that would be more permissioned.
4: It would be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> blockchain is useless if you want to do anything within your company that doesn't involve outside interactions. Right, like it, it has right, no benefit. Right. You only want to build a blockchain application. The other piece is taking advantage of someone else's OPEX expenditure. Again, buzzwordy there. When you run an application, if you're a small or medium business, you're probably running it on Amazon and you have to pay a monthly bill to maintain it. Mm-hmm. With a blockchain application, the miners maintain it for you. That's They're actually paid to maintain that for you. So you can actually take your very data-intensive application and push it onto public blockchain technology. doesn't compromise the data. No one can view the data except for you if you have your private keys. But what happens is those miners are suddenly, you know, paid to run and maintain your application. And there's not just one miner. There's many all around the world, right. and so that's a big game changer for thinking about why you build on blockchain applications. You're transforming that Opex you have to pay every month into someone else's problem.
0: <laughs> I think Harry's going to be doing some repeat uh, listens of the show gonna because make, she's going to be, be <laughs> 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 using it to help her help her out in her connecting
1: uh, a lot more dots. Yeah, thank you so much. Of uh, course, I'm. I'm like.
0: Do you have time to go over maybe a couple more? Let's talk about trolls. Uh, Trolls, (laughs) yes. How do you handle trolls? What is your your philosophy and life, um, I guess, viewpoint when it comes to um, online trolling?
4: I got told that I'm a very provocative person. That was very interesting. (laughs) Really? Generally, with trolls, I will engage them because someone else is probably going to learn from my viewpoints. And Mm. I do my absolute best to not let them hurt me in any way trolls really do feed off attention and it's both negative and positive attention and the important thing to understand with a troll is what they're trying to do is get you to slip up or say something that they can use against you later. Mm -hmm. Sane people don't troll others. Now, there are some wonderful people I admire, like Vlad Zamfir, that are trolls by design. (laughs) And specifically, why they are trolls is they make very outlandish statements, and then they watch a lot of people get very upset about it, and then they just sit back and laugh. What Vlad does is a little different, because really he makes statements not directed at any one person, and just likes to see the chaos it causes. Online trolls will usually attack individuals, and I always think these are people that are... You know, they they have some sort of hurt or some sort of frustration in their life that they can't solve in any other way. So they just want to take it out on others. I block immediately. So the one thing is never be afraid. People will tell you, especially in this age of digi- digital media, that you are not allowed to censor others. Um, and they say that in forms of like blocking on Twitter. Twitter also has a feature for hiding comments. No, never let anyone feel bad about making sure that you can use you know, online media are in a safe way. Get rid of the negative, horrible people that contribute no value.
0: So, uh, we have a good friend who's an attorney, and he mm-hmm. made a joke about this once uh, that I had loved, uh, which is, you know, someone will like scream about, you blocked me. You're, you're like preventing mm-hmm. my freedom of speech. It's like, no, you can say whatever you want. I just don't want, just hear don't don't want to hear it. Bingo.
4: <laughs> yeah. And so, Twitter builds these things. It, it can be horrible. I've had, so going through my O1A process, I had a lot of the opponents against Prog Powell write into the immigration department um, asking for my removal. They, um, One of it, I, I got a few of the letters, and today this is still happening. A prominent member of, again, the Ethereum Classic community is writing in every single day. To um, He's talking to any sort of thought leaders in the community. He just had a discussion with Roger Ver, um, where he spun his version of the story about how I'm funded with NVIDIA and colluding. Apparently, I'm colluding with the Czech Republic now to, <laughs> to get Prog Power adopted. I haven't figured out why I'd be doing that. It sounds kind of cool, though. These these people will do whatever it takes to get attention and media limelight. And all you can do is just block them and move on with your day. Onward. If you really want to annoy them, make sure that you're incredibly happy and that you <laughs> they, they see that you haven't phased them. So with the O1A stuff... Um, all I did was I posted that online. I said, this is really disgusting, but you know what? I still got my o a Sorry about that. Woohoo. <laughs> and it, it outraged the person so much, the troll so much that he ended up slipping and revealing his real identity. Whoa. <laughs> and in the U S it's a crime to make face, uh, fake slanderous yeah, statements like that. Libel and slander. Yeah. And it's really bad when you're, um, you're doing that to the government. So what they specifically said was I was involved in, financial um manipulation across cryptocurrency markets it was bizarre had all the buzzwords in it you know just deal with trolls like at the end of the day treat them a little bit like they're uh kids that have a temper tantrum as
0: well (laughs) and then on that uh on the troll topic uh the uh next kind of like logical step is maximalists. Mm -hmm. And so I heard a really, really nice explanation of uh, maximalists. And it was originally used by Vitalik Mm -hmm. as a pejorative against Bitcoin, you know, enthusiasts, highly, highly enthusiastic people. And then they said, well, you know, it's like, we can't really control what you say about us, but you know what we can do is take your pejorative, your insult, and then we can just own that. And we can just be Mm -hmm. who we are. We believe that Bitcoin is the best. And we're willing to put our names and faces and, you know, words on the line and say we are the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, on that topic of maximalists and maximalism, like, what are your thoughts?
4: I think that's very wise words. If people are going to call you names, own it. (laughs) For so long, people have, um, in the last year, I've watched, again, big people, um, you know, in these communities, call me horrible names, call me like s- bitch, whore, slut. Um, th- people have made fake accounts and news articles about this. I just own it. I'm like, yes, thank you for comparing me to a female dog. <laughs> you know what? Dogs are pretty awesome. <laughs> Hell, I'm awesome. Like own it. People are never (laughs) because it completely
0: um, it completely diffuses Mm -hmm. and takes away that power that they're trying to hold over. I
4: had some guy come. uh, He was a heckler, and he came to one of my conferences, and he gets on the stage and he goes, "Get off the stage, you fat cow!" I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I am. I am a little pudgy. Thanks for noticing, but I don't see how that's relevant to the conversation." (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> and it diffuses the situation entirely and they get stunned. And then everyone else turns to him and they're like, Ew. shut like, up! why yeah, would you do that? Poor, yeah, Don't ever let people phase you with words. If you give words power, that's how they do damage. Words, words have no power unless you give it to them. So, you know, let people call you horrible things. Just keep on being yourself. Keep on kicking butt. And the people that really matter in the world will start seeing how you act in the face of adversity. And they'll admire you more for that. That's a lesson I learned from my boss, Kevin. Like, he he taught me you always have to keep your head, head high. Even when people are insulting you and calling you horrible things, act with respect, keep your head high, and always maintain professionalism.
1: Act with integrity, yep. actions speak louder than words, and uh, be professional. Yep. Um, Man, I can't there's tell a you. quote Go ahead, go ahead. There's a quote um, You're always on parade. Yes, General um, Patton. Yeah, and so um, I'm really been digesting that that mm-hmm. quote, which is is really important because like where what are you, what is your trail mm-hmm. of history and what have you been doing with your life um, yep. and let that speak for itself, you know? Exactly. People say what they say.
4: And the other thing is never be afraid to be human. It's okay if you make mistakes. Anyone that punishes you for being human and making a mistake is a horrible person like we all say silly things we all have bad days yeah you know we all make mistakes in business yeah but our mistakes are what allows us to evolve and i see i see so often in the cryptocurrency arena Mm -hmm. um some really talented people that are um harassed or you know, have bad things written about them because of mistakes they've made in their past. Yep. Peter yeah. Todd's going through this right now. Um, Peter Todd is a very famous cryptographer, probably the most famous, and he has contributed to a lot of the security fixes in Bitcoin. He speaks at length with governments around the world about the security and the cryptography portion of crypto uh, of Bitcoin. And recently, three women ac- accused him of rape. Oh no! I know Peter Todd, and he's a sweetheart. Like he's 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 a very innocent guy and also he's um like he just would never do that but again what these people did is they created fake statements online fake media and then that's that's mm. how they that's how they push their narrative it's all settled out of courts apparently uh, for what i last heard and that was something that happened in the past mm. and still the media drags that up and says know, oh look at media. this horrible person look at what he done this work he did over here that cured cancer needs to be judged seriously because oh he was accused of rape back in X Y Z.
3: You
4: don't do that with you don't do that with humans like everyone makes makes mistakes.
0: I gotta tell you you are so wise beyond your years. <laughs> so, wise. so seriously. I um, want, I'm
1: like I can learn so much from her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much. Yeah, it feels so good.
0: You wanna yeah. land in the plain Huh? You want to land the plane? Yeah, it just
1: right. it feels really good to talk to another woman. But it doesn't matter that you're a man or woman, like, and also so young. But it doesn't matter that you're so young. You're just uh, the life experience, the the challenges, the ups and downs, the experiences, just the way you've approached and looked life. It's very, very impressive. I'm, I'm almost like I'm tearing up impressed. right now. Very impressed. Um, and so just really, really, really thankful for the time.
4: Thank you so much, and thank you for the wonderful
1: lunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anytime. seriously, yeah, anytime. So yeah. And
1: if if our um, listeners want to get in touch or follow you, what's the mm-hmm. best way to?
4: Yep. Uh, so through Twitter, um, mm-hmm. my handle is at oh god a um, girl.
1: Oh god, a girl.
4: And then also uh, email. If you want to reach out through email, if you want to understand more about blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, if you have really silly questions, if you want to troll me, you can, <laughs> you can message my email. It's ohgotagirl at gmail.com. Like I'm always open, I'm always up for talking to new folks. If anyone wants to grab coffee in Seattle or Be- Bellevue, I'm also always around. Again,
1: yeah, I'm an open book. Thank you Happy so much. Teach. Yeah, We'll put that all in the show notes too. And then um, thank you to our listeners for the opportunity to continue to share. Uh, Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. (laughs)
0: review, subscribe, share.
1: (laughs) And that's how we'll continue to do the work of sharing these amazing stories. And we have so many people doing so many good things in the world. And so despite what we may see in the media, which can be very uh, depressing at times, it's important to know that we're here for the long game. We can do a lot to help each other one by one or humanity and communities as a whole. So the line I say is, together we rise.
0: Be nice, y'all.
5: Bye-bye. Hello, this is Mark Jung-Chun from Federal Way via Manila, Philippines. None of the statements or opinions expressed in this podcast by the guests or its hosts is to be taken as financial or legal or psychological or dietary advice or a solicitation of any kind to participate in a conservative or risky or speculative financial instrument that may or may not require accredited investor status as defined by either the Security and Exchange Commission or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission of the United States of America or independent thought and rational thinking from the laws of humanity. By listening, you acknowledge that the hosts, Ari and Day, and their guests are not financial advisors or legal scholars, or psychologists or dietitians of any kind, but only humans and not sentient intergalactic alien lifeforms. There shall be no reliance by the listeners to the representations made in this podcast as being factual, fiduciary, or any other big vocabulary word you can think of. All statements made in this podcast by any living or dead or unborn or zombie or robotic entity in the past, present, or future of the space-time continuum Of the known universe are purely ironic and coincidental thoughts and opinions. Moments of sarcasm, sadness, education, glee, entertainment, or any other emotion found in this podcast are fully your responsibility and reaction that may or may not be intended for the listener in any way, shape, or form. This podcast contains adult information. Discretion is strongly advised. Thank you for listening.
1: This is day here. <clears throat> Go Any mark Get set One, two, three Let's blaze So So if you can do a little bit
0: more than that See how mine shows up right there
1: Yeah, I think I can do a lot more than that
0: Okay, so Because you're doing like this Which makes it hard to really like project And, you know Get your voice out there <laughs> <laughs> but it's really easy when you're when you're like this and open <laughs> you don't even have to be on the mic really you and you know how to adjust it yourself I'm we an do expert this every single time yep
1: <laughs> let's go
0: You need to have be able to breathe, you know like the number one thing that people don't do when they're on stage is actually breathe when they're talking and, they talk yep and then here. you run out of breath, yep, all right, so if you could uh give me some. Mike Chai.
4: Hello, my name is Christy Lee Minahan, and I am sitting here today with Ari and Day.
0: With a bunch of boxes behind you.
4: The (laughs) Lowe's blockchain.